Hey everyone, welcome to the MJL. This is the fifth episode. I am your host, Mike Lee, and today uh, I'm going to be interviewing Caleb Goliner. Uh, he is a wordplay wizard, magical storyteller, uh, and a rising comic artist. In addition, he's also an Eisner winning award editor, Webby and Telly award winning writer who wrote stories from pop with popular IPs such as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Sonic the Hedgehog, Might and Morphin Power Rangers, and the amazing world of Gumball stories. Uh, he recently just published a new comic called Ghost Cage, uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit in this uh, podcast. But Caleb, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I should introduce you next. I'll, I'll be waiting for it. I know you've been <laughs> thinking about potentially starting for a po- you know starting your own podcast. So I uh, would love, obviously, to be a guest and receive you know an introduction as well. I'll, I'll see what uh, I'll see what the schedule allows. I'm I'm being too ambitious with all the stuff I want to do right now. <laughs> so that's that's still in the offing, I think. Hey, there's nothing wrong with a lot of ambition. It just means that you just have uh, a lot of priorities that you need to take care of. Yeah, yeah. Trying to live in the world. Okay, so how we know each other is that we used to work together at Crunchyroll. So at Crunchyroll, I was in a more of a product marketing capacity where I'd put together decks and like strategy and planning, communication and messaging for uh, some of the mobile game titles that I was working on. Uh, and oftentimes I would consult with Caleb uh, in regards to copywriting. And so we worked pretty closely together in terms of refining kind of the messages that I would put together and then I would pass it on to Caleb and you know he'd take his own spin on essentially refining and giving it more of you know the tone and style that let's say Crunchyroll was looking for in its sort of overall brand messaging. Uh, and so yeah, that's how we've kind of known each other. And for context, for the most part, I really don't know a lot about copywriting or like the comic book industry. So I'm really using this opportunity to be educated by someone who kind of lives and breathes this stuff. Uh, just because for the most part, I think uh, the other listeners and viewers are probably in the same boat as me. Like you've probably heard of a copywriter, but you don't really know what they do other than write really snazzy copy. And that's about it. Or maybe you don't necessarily have a copywriter and you want to learn how to write you know, better copy or more engaging uh, messaging. So I think uh, definitely looking forward to exploring more of this with Caleb. That's what I'm here for. All right. Uh, So first off, I kind of, I'm really interested in how you got into copywriting. Like, was this something that, you know, when you were a child, right? Or, you know, before your uh, copywriting profession, was this something that, you know, had an influence in your love of writing? I actually, writing was like, I didn't know, I didn't ever think about being a writer. Um, like as a kid, I just was like kind of a space cadet and just like daydreaming all the time. And I like to draw. And, uh, you know, there's that thing when you're a kid, at least in my family, um, where it's like, I've always kind of believed that like talent is just whatever you find easy like whatever comes naturally and uh, like whether or not you cultivate that talent and turn it into like a skill, you know, like something refined that you can actually practice. Um, 
like it's just like it's one of your gifts or whatever you know it's kind of like the way it was viewed in my family and from a young age i just like to draw and i like to draw whatever i like cartoons i like comics i liked um like anything that was animated like toys i was like very very basic stuff the stuff like every kid likes especially when they're really little um I was like not super into sports as a kid. Like it's weird. I like I didn't care about sports or anything athletic. I think until I was like 25, you know, and that was only so that I would stop writing um, and like stop thinking about writing and drawing and stuff. So um, yeah, like basically uh, drawing as I got older, I didn't have much of a work ethic at that age, like elementary school, junior high. Um, so I kind of, you start, like, you start to give up on certain things, like when you're a kid, cause when you're a kid, you want to do everything. You want to be like a firefighter right. and like an astronaut and like Godzilla. And, um, but the education system in Olathe, Kansas, where I grew up, uh, you know, they force you to write, right? <laughs> like you have to write a ton yeah. in school. Yeah. 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 Like you and, have, yeah you'd write yeah. in school. Writing papers all the time. And like. I just never found it difficult. That was like the, that was like the passive skill that like they train you in. And when you excel in it at all, you're rewarded with not necessarily praise, but like it's one less thing for you to get a C at, you know, like you're bringing home A's and something, your parents leave you alone about the rest. You're like, Oh, he's not dumb. You know, like, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Um, so yeah, like, Pretty much like before I knew it, I was going to, I was starting college. I was like playing in bands and I just wanted to be like in a, the world's biggest screamo band that's dating myself. But this is like, you know, high school for me ended in 2003. And uh, I just wanted to be like in the used or something or like taking back Sunday or like one of those bands. And so I didn't even want to go to college. I just wanted to get in a van and go have fun. You know, like your typical kind of kid mentality. Um, right. and I didn't have a ton of pressure to go to college other than my parents just being like, if you don't go to college, I don't know, man, look at your life, you know, <laughs> like you should probably do that. Um, so I, I went to college and I was like, oh, you got to pick a degree. Like, Oh, what do I do? I'm like, what's easiest? You know, I'm like writing, I'll do writing. But I knew that it had to be functional. Um, English degrees are notoriously not like a profitable standard. So it was like, I knew I loved magazines. Uh, I loved reading the newspaper. I grew up reading like Entertainment Weekly and People Magazine. Like my mom would always bring them home from the library and I would just like devour that kind of content. Like the smart ass writing that's like critiquing stuff. Like that was what was fun about writing. And I was doing that in music. I was writing lyrics and just trying to be funny and like be a smart ass and be entertaining. Make jokes pretty much. Um, so yeah, like I got, I decided to get a journalism degree. Um, fortunately, like I took all the history classes I could <laughs> and like, um, how come you decided to take, uh, the history classes specifically? Cause it, cause I'm terrible at math. Um, <laughs> or at least I was, I don't know. I don't think I'm any better now. Uh, but I got good enough that I could like get a good score on the GRE later in life, like college algebra smart. But like, other than that, other than the foil method, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, 
So yeah, I basically just, uh, I took what I thought was the path of least resistance, but I just kept trying to, you develop a sense of pride and the things that you're maybe praised for as a kid. Like, well, I can't suck at writing. I can't get a C in these classes. You know, I can't get a C in journalism or whatever. Like I better, I better be getting an A because I'm definitely getting a C in this psychology class, brain and behavior. Like I don't even want to go. It's at 8 a.m. Um, so yeah, you just kind of like, I guess like my subconscious decided to like really give a shit. Can I cuss on this thing? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, perfect. That's totally fine. Perfect. Yeah. Um, keep it in the show. It's a good question, audience. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I got out of school and uh, the economy like totally hit the skids like right away. I graduated in 2007 and then there was that like 2008 like financial apocalypse. Um, and so like all the jobs disappeared and I had been printing t-shirts and trying to get my band to go on tour. And it was not gonna happen in any reality. Everybody had commitments, you know, it just wasn't gonna work out. Uh, so I kept playing music, but I was like, I can't be printing t-shirts anymore. I just went to college, you know, and I paid my way through school. So like, fortunately I didn't have any debt. I had some buffer to like screw around um, for like a minute. And I was in a pretty cheap part of the country to live at the time. Uh, those places don't exist anymore. Sorry, audience. It's been 20 years, uh, <laughs> but it's a different time. It was, it was, it was a slightly different time. Um, and so, yeah, like I wanted to make some freelance money. I was working at a library that I had worked at since I was like 15 years old. And I was just dying to get out of my like Metro area. It's like, I need to get the, I need to get out of here. You know, like I'm, I'm dying on the vine. So, um, uh, I just like, kind of like started talking to people and, um, throughout high school, I had always interviewed bands as a way to get into shows for free and to like network. I'd always used writing and the mechanism of the profession of writing and the opportunities there to just like meet people, go places, afford things that I can't afford, get free stuff, that kind of deal. Uh, so I just like reached out. I started emailing websites. Um, something happened that was like perfect timing for me. Iron Man came out in 2008. And so there was this sudden rush of all like the mainstream media sites where they had to have like a geek blog. Everything was about being a geek or a nerd. And so I just started like emailing people and be like, Hey, I got, I got a journalism degree. I've done some pieces for like my local alt weekly. Um, like writing up music and stuff like that. Like, what's up? Do you got any money? Uh, can I work for you? Can I do freelance or whatever it is? And um, I like found myself like writing for magazines and like uh, newspapers, right? I, we all knew they were dying, you know, but like they still paid like rates that were very healthy and lucrative for a kid. Who I mean, they let to... you, they let you, they gave you the ability to actually have a living, right? To start your portfolio. And I almost think it's yeah. full self circle too, right? Like these are the things that you grew up with and you also now get to participate and in the thing that kind of inspired you to write in the first place. It was, yeah, it was really gratifying. There was this magazine in the nineties called and into the two thousands uh, called wizard magazine. And it was like the entertainment weekly or the Rolling Stone of comic books. And it had a very certain sense of humor, 
kind of like a lot of those 90s magazines um like it was a little edgy so sort of like a maxim or something like they made fun of comics they made fun of creators but like everybody was in on the joke and it was a little spicy but not too spicy kind of had like a simpsons vibe maybe like cranked up here and there um but yeah i grew up like loving that magazine and all of a sudden i'm writing for them and it wasn't i, I had to keep my day job because and my, I had like three part-time sure. jobs and I was writing and I was still playing music. Um, but like all of a sudden I was like, oh shit, I can make money writing like actual money from a few places. And uh, that gave me a lot of confidence. And then I started writing for a bunch of websites and um, some of the rates were terrible. Some were like fine, but it was just like the amount. And I was just I don't know, like something happened and I realized I was like a workaholic a bit <laughs> and like, I mean, you, you've been always been doing a bunch of different jobs. Like if you're doing three, three part-time jobs, right. You have a day yeah. job, you're always traveling, right. Or doing some, it's not just like I'm doing one day job and then, you know, it's the same kind of day job, you know, somewhere else, like your mind from what it sounds like and based off of everything you've said so far has really gone on an adventure right? To a certain degree. And like, yeah, very much like kind of anything goes, you're going with where kind of the wind takes you. Um, and the wind just happens to be writing opportunities. The, well, the wind was money. Uh, <laughs> like, but yeah, sure, sure. I didn't know. I didn't have any other skills like to speak of. Um, and so yeah, I just started. I did that. And I finally got like a job and I was able to quit working part time. I had a full-time job as like an editor of a website, um, like on a staff and it was called comicsalliance.com and AOL owned it at the time. Uh, they sold it or they'd merged with like the Huffington post and like we were working for the Huffington post and then they like laid us all off and closed the site. But then like a couple days later, it got bought by a radio network, which owned a bunch of like genre sites, music sites, entertainment sites. And so we all got our jobs back like right away. Um, and then I did that for a little while longer. And uh, along the way, like having to run a website and do all the things that you need to do to like sort of promote it. We had to like do all the tweets. We had to do all the email marketing. Like I didn't realize it, but it taught me how to do digital marketing, um, effectively content marketing. Cause we were also making videos and I was doing a lot of photoshops and um, you just kind of pick up all those skills, just being like an online person, especially at that point. Uh, so was your team pretty small kind of at that point, just cause I would imagine that like in order for you to, you're almost working at a media startup, it sounds like, and obviously this is yeah. sort of the, the new turning of the age, right. For digital media as well. Uh, I would imagine that because you didn't have like huge specific teams of like who knows how to, we have a dedicated artist for Photoshop or something like that. Like a lot of, uh, I would imagine media editors and stuff like that had to learn those skills on their own. Yeah, it was totally like anything goes, they didn't care what you were doing as long as like clicks showed up and like, you know, the ads were doing okay. And you sort of lived and died by whether or not they would place some of your content on the AOL.com homepage. Kind of like Yahoo's still got like news right. on their homepage and like they would use all of their like microsites to source that content. And since we were covering like uh, this was, I mean, like the MCU was just getting started. 
all this stuff that like everybody's super into now it's super mainstream like nobody knew who the hell iron man was like when that movie got made that was one of like the narratives around that movie right like we know who you would, the you would only are, know but... who i would say you would only know who iron man was if you actually like read the comics or watched the animated tv show like yeah, those yeah the he had a cartoon really in the 90s. or played the video games yeah yeah he had a couple of video games he had iron man x man of war and like some other stuff but if you wanted to like be into marvel you had to like be into marvel it wasn't they didn't have like spider-man at disney world and like it was like right 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 and it was they went bankrupt in 1999 you know like it was just always like they were always sort of like this weird edgy thing um so yeah i guess we were sort of subject matter experts um but the way blogs worked back then it was all really like uh I don't know. It was basically like make fun of shit, write an edgy headline, and then like steal images from Google image search and just like throw them up as a header and like, and do whatever. Uh, and there's sites that still totally do it that way. <laughs> there's tons of them. Um, but now they're promoting my comics, you know? So uh, it's like, <laughs> now I'm like, God bless circle. them. It is a little bit, it is a little bit. Um, but yeah, I did that and I was still freelance writing for a bunch of other publications. And uh, finally I was like, dude, I need to, I need to take a break. Cause I'm like writing about, I was also writing a lot of the content and making videos and editing other people's content. So yeah, it was like three people who were sort of the editors. Um, and we would all write a little bit, but they wanted like 12 to 20 pieces of content a day, you know? So That's a lot of content. From like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like it was just a machine back then. Um, so I tried to make it, we had like feature writers, they would write like opinions on trends in the industry. Um, our website was cool because it kind of had like, we were trying to talk about stuff um, through our, a lot of our writers who are from different walks of life. We were trying to talk about stuff like diversity or lack thereof in superhero comics and superhero media. And, you know, we're trying to like shine a light on stuff that was by people from different walks of life and do interviews and um, I guess it like, we sort of like, they'd call it like a woke comic site now, I guess okay. <laughs> like in a derisive way, uh, all the, all the people who have co-opted the word that used to mean you were like, cool, you know? Um, but yeah, like that was the reputation of the site. We, we tried to be funny. We tried to like raise awareness about different trends, um, good or bad. And, um, but at the same time, you know, you still had to pay the bills. So here's a, here's the teaser trailer for the teaser trailer for the teaser trailer for the next Transformers movie. And it would be like Super Bowl Sunday. And you'd have to like, you get some like angry texts from your boss. Like, why isn't this on the homepage? And be like, cause who gives a shit, but you'd still have to do it. So after like five years of that, I was ready to do something new. I was going to ask, is there, so you mentioned how you had to write like, 20 pieces uh or those articles a day or just like uh pieces of content a day like because you kind of went through like the machine or kind of the meat grinder in terms of so much repetition um from like a whatever headline click baby type titles how did that actually you know i would guess did it actually help improve like your writing like and from like uh or not necessarily your writing, but like your way to 
get from your message across, right? And engage, yeah. right? Because you're doing so many reps of that. Like, did it, how did it change? Your it's like working mind? out. Okay. It, like, it depends on your mindset and how much you care. Because, like, you're basically, like, sometimes you're making a gourmet meal. You're doing an interview you really care about. Um, you know, you're showing up and like, I got to interview Anthony Bourdain one time. So I like worked really hard, made sure I had good questions, made sure my hair looked right. I, I wanted to like, I loved him. So I was like, I want to impress right. Anthony Bourdain. So sometimes you're a chef, but most of the time you're making cheeseburgers, right? And McDonald's and you've got like a machine doing most of it. And you're just kind of like throwing ingredients around. So the fact that you have to do so much volume and you have to do it like all day, pretty much seven days a week, unfortunately for, for a while. Um, yeah, it, it definitely like hones you, you get a lot of, uh, endurance, like writing endurance and you know how to solve like the easy problems and you know how to maintain enough energy to still do heavy lifting on the stuff that like you really care about. So totally, I mean, it totally made me a better, it made me a harder worker. Um, whether or not it made me a better writer, you can get cynical and you can stop caring. So that's when I knew I had to like leave. I'm like, I can't, I can't give a shit about like a bunch of this stuff in this role, you know, right. like, cause it kind of kills your, it kind of kills your fandom a little bit. You're just like, I can't think about this shit all the time. I hate it now. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like what, I know you knew, we were talking about working yeah. out, right? It sounds like, you know, from a creative perspective, and maybe to use an analogy, it's like your creativity is your blood flow, right? And you know, you can pump you can only pump so much blood, right, doing certain types of exercises. But then you do need to have exercises where you rest, right? And or you don't yeah. use the same types of muscles all the time, right? You have to alternate a little bit. And so in this case, it sounds like, you know, you're just exercising one specific thing um, versus like, I guess, taking a break from it and stepping back and saying like, I just need to do something else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the iron only sharpens the iron as long as you have iron to sharpen. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's a terrible <laughs> analogy. No, I, get, I get what you're coming from with that. Yeah, yeah. eventually you just shatter your your ax or your sword or whatever the hell is made of iron, your shield. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I was, you were just on the treadmill all the time, you know? And I'm like, I think I'd rather do some deadlifts, get a little stronger there. You know, okay. I think I'd rather, I don't know. Um, it, it was a cardio job. Like it was a endurance cardio job. And I wanted you're, to do a little sprinting. bit more. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to do some very things up because otherwise, you know, you just blow out your joints and stuff and um you never develop your vo max i'm gonna use some workout yeah that's totally fine <laughs> i want to kind of like take it back a little bit more like from like your childhood and the reason why is because you know we're talking about uh writing and one thing that really spoke out to me was your writing came from a place that wasn't necessarily like academic per se Right. Yeah. Uh, and so when you had to go through your English classes, right. Or anything that involved writing for school, like talk to me about what you learned from there, or maybe you didn't learn anything right from school writing, right. Versus kind of the non-school writing and how kind of 
they have affected each other, at least during, you know, your formative childhood years? Sure. Like pretty much, I think about this stuff a lot, actually. It's kind of funny you ask. So in the kind of work I do now, um, like a lot of the time doing kind of like digital marketing, writing, you're kind of just like, I don't know. I think of writing as like, you've got a bunch of Lego pieces and you're just building stuff with them. Cause like the words, yeah, you can add some words. There's a new Lego piece once in a while. Sometimes they retire one, you know, but you've always just like, you've got this big bucket and you just dump it out on the floor and you start grabbing pieces and you put together like a helicopter or whatever. Um, digital marketing, you know, like it has a lot of those, it's got a lot of constraints, character counts and um, different ways of like getting keywords in to make the robots happy. So your ads actually hit your target and then you can buy like the cheaper keywords and on and on and on. Um, but like, it just, it reminds me of a lot of the worksheets that I used to get in school. Um, my first school district was really focused on math and science and writing was maybe like, I don't know, the secondary priority for whatever they're, you know, they're all trying to get different uh, standardized testing scores so they can get more funding. <laughs> right, right, I right. went to public school. I should yeah. clarify. Was it, was it like a, a magnet school since you were saying that it was focused on math yeah. and science? Okay. I was just curious. No, that's just what I, that's just what I noticed. Like we moved across the metro and across state lines. Like I was living in Missouri growing up and then like fifth grade, we moved to the Kansas side. Pretty similar economic type situations, but like they had smaller schools where I moved They had fewer kids per class. Like a lot of shit was different. And I noticed that like writing was a big deal there. And so I immediately felt smarter. Uh, <laughs> Cause like, you were in your, like, I don't know. It was like, yeah, no, but they would give you these worksheets and they, I forget what they called them. They had different names for them, like daily oral language. And they would right. just be like, what's the right way to fix this sentence? Like mark it up just like a journalist journalist would or an editor would like you know and it all the sentences never had a period at the end or any punctuation that was like the dare that was like the layup you know but it was check for spelling check for conventions check for syntax and i would just like blast through those because like it just made sense to me it all clicked because i guess i watched a lot of sesame street or something we did read a lot famous. of magazines like as pbs well. I did, you did a lot of reading and you don't realize that you're learning when you read a shit ton, at least if you pay attention, um, in a certain way, you know, like I couldn't tell you the name of like half the characters in any given book that I just finished. I could for like an hour, but then like, if you asked me like, Oh, write Like a fantasy scene, I'd be like, I don't know, man, there's a dragon and like somebody sings a song. And so, yeah, I guess all those worksheets, they would, the one I remember the most, it was in fifth grade you'd go through a bunch of different like scenarios, a bunch of different exercises in writing, but at the end they'd be like, rewrite this sentence like three ways. And I just remember just like blasting through it. And like, I didn't know what I was doing necessarily, but you know, you're just like rearranging the sentence while keeping the syntax and like you're adding different conventions or eliminating them, like getting rid of commas or adding them. Um, and I mean, that's basically what you do when you're a copywriter that goes back to like my Lego analogy. You're just like, you're rebuilding the same set in slightly different ways over and over and over again. And, uh, so over time, like the rest of your education and writing, ad vocabulary, 
um, consider different styles, like of, you know, uh, not even styles of writing necessarily right away, but just like different styles of conventions. Like, are we going to capitalize AM and PM? Or are we going to have little dots in between them? You know, just like to standardize language, um, like for a brand or for a publication, it was just a lot of doing that. And then a lot of like exercises and just trying to remember shit. Like, what are all these rules and do they matter and why? <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I just, you, I found something easy and I took it for granted or I found something natural. I, it came natural to me. Like if you don't pay attention, you don't get it right. You know, it's kind of like, you got to keep your head in the game right. no matter what you're doing. Um, but yeah, for me, it was just like, I was lazy. <laughs> I was a lazy kid and I didn't, I, I couldn't even imagine being an adult or having a career or like doing any of those things, like never on my mind. I just wanted to have fun. And, uh, yeah, but eventually, you know, when push came to shove and you got to pick something to like actually, um, build around, I was like, Oh, what's the easiest thing I know how to do writing, I guess. And even then you don't take it seriously sure. until like you're thrown to the fire and like, you got a boss yelling at you and you're like, Oh shit, I should try. Um, so yeah, it took me, took me until my twenties to like really, take much seriously. I was really ambivalent about like everything. Cause I was like, I just want to be a cool dude and like chill, man. Right. You, you want to, you want to go travel um, with the rock band and, and things like that. You just want to have fun. I just want to have fun basically. Yeah. So fortunately I, I had like that mutant power of being a workaholic and I didn't realize I was doing it all along. You know, I would like hustle for my bands, trying to get people to shows you're abusing MySpace and Zanga or whatever was around when I was a kid, right. just like spamming people, trying to get them to care about your band. So, and I was, I guess I was like subconsciously fascinated with marketing and branding. Um, I would always just look at stuff at the stores and be like, Oh, they changed the cereal boxes. And I'd be like, Oh, a new independence day is coming out this summer, you know, with Will Smith. Why is that on the Cheerios box? You know, like I'm, I was always just like looking at all that kind of stuff. Um, so over time, like, you know, you're my therapist right now and I'm explaining where all my bullshit came from. No, but, but that's, a, yeah, that's exactly just, like, whatever. Wanna, like explore, right? Like, yeah. um, part of it is really understanding, you know, for copywriters, right. Or people who love writing, uh, I feel like where it comes from is very different than maybe say other professions, especially because it is such a creative endeavor. Uh, and in that sense, I want to segue into, uh, you talked about how your parents, right. Initially were just like, okay, you're getting, and I don't know, an A in writing or in English, like clearly you're good at something. So talk to me about when you kind of, your parents realized like, or you, maybe you told your parents like, Hey, I'm going to be a writer, right. That's going to be my profession. Like, I want to know what that reaction is like, just because it's, unless you have very creative parents, right? Like that can appreciate yeah. and understand the struggle of uh, potentially being in the arts, right? Like what was their kind of reaction like? My parents were really easy going. They never really told me what to do. Um, and like, I've talked to them about all this. So if they ever hear this podcast, they won't like clutch their pearls. Like how dare he, you know? Uh, but like my parents, you know, like, 
they really instilled in me just like work hard and save a bunch of money so you can retire because life is miserable. You know, right. <laughs> was kind of like, they were like, they liked being parents, but like they were pretty hands off, you know, like I just would follow my brother around all the time. And like, he was in the math, like he's an engineer, like he's a, he works at Honda and stuff, you know, and like my sister, she's an engineer. She works in, um, she works in like renewable energy and stuff. And like, so like, we all got along, like we didn't really fight, but I was just like a daydreamer. I don't know what my parents, my parents, I think were worried about me when they thought I was really going to try to pursue music. Cause that's just a dead end. You know, <laughs> like, I wasn't like marshmallow when he was 12 years old or something. Right. He was like doing piano recitals and knows how to use logic and, and Ableton and stuff. Like I was just like, we well, you know, remember so, like back then my, right like there wasn't TikTok or instagram where you actually had no. platforms for that it's literally myspace put your music on myspace maybe it blasts through right you still are handing out cds so the platform i was doing that reach, i was every show right? like you're not yeah i was going to every show burning cds and handing them out in line and having people throw them on the ground and not give a shit and that can only take you so far. What you really needed was you need to get signed by a label. Right. You need a manager, you need a booking agent, and you need to go tour your ass off for like three to five years. And then, you know, if you get on the right tours and you meet all the right people and you say all the right things and dress a certain way and, and follow the, the council, you know, and I've got friends who are still doing music and, you know, they were able to do all of that, but I look at their lives and like, everything they've done and gone through. And I'm like, that wasn't going to be me, you know? So like, I miss, I miss like making music sometimes and I'll get on Ableton or something and try to like program something. But, um, yeah, it was pretty clear. My parents were just like relieved at every life stage. Oh, so he's going to college. Oh, so his grades are fine. You know? okay. <laughs> like, Oh, so he has a job. Oh, so he saves some money. Oh, so like he and his girlfriend get along and we like her, you know, like who's now my wife. Like we've been together since I was 17. Um, and so, yeah, they just kind of like, they just would like take each stage as it went. They never really intervened. Um, every time they would try, I would basically be like, I know what I'm doing. Of course, and they'd of be course. like, what are you doing? We don't know. We don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like, we don't know anything about this shit. Um, but they were, I remember my dad, like one time, I had started writing for like the local publications and like the alt weeklies I was writing for, you could just go like, they had them everywhere. You go to Chipotle, they'd have like a little stack of them on a counter as you walked in or something. And, uh, he was starting to see my bylines, like in that stuff, like the stuff he could touch and like see places. And he was just like, so you just write this stuff, you know? Cause like my dad's not a writer, you know, like he was doing other things and same thing with my mom. You're like, just write it. And he's like, how long does it take? How much does it pay? Like he was curious. And I was just like, uh, not very long pays. All right. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just kind of explained it to him. And I think at that point they were just like, all right, he ain't going to die. It's fine. I think part of it seems <laughs> you know, like, like one at that moment, you kind of externally validated yourself in a way it's like, okay. You know, if someone, if he picks up the newspaper and he's like, hey, this was written by Caleb, right? He could go to his friends and be like, hey, Caleb wrote this, right? Like, what do you think? Or maybe he got comments or feedback of like, hey, your son's a great writer, right? Or we really enjoy your son's 
you know, copywriting or, or whatever. I don't know if that's the case. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think anybody, it's funny, like, nobody in my life really had strong opinions on, on that kind of stuff. Like, I don't, I think they would like read my stuff and be like, this seems like it belongs here. Yes. You know, like kind of when you're doing like stuff like that, like they weren't picky sure. about it. They weren't like, oh, he's doing it wrong. Like they didn't really have, that wasn't like their world or like the stuff they thought about a lot. So, I mean, it's funny, like, especially when I moved to the West Coast, um, I started like interacting and meeting and I had a guy in uh, one of my bands and, you know, they came from kind of like Asian immigrant houses they were like second, third generation or other traditions. And they would like tell me about their lives, you know, and some of like the, the cultural stuff about like their parents, like being on their ass all the time or like making them do stuff. And, uh, you know, this is like, you know, people from Russia, Ukraine, East Asia, China, like all over the world, you start meeting all these different kinds of people. And even like European folks who are like from Europe who are working in America where just like things are different, you know, it's not Kansas city where everybody's just like, I don't know, you're not a farmer. I guess you work in an office. Like who gives a shit? Like we got money, like it's fine. You know, like very middle-class. Um, I didn't realize it was like, oh man, I guess I sort of, I sort of just like hustled and like grinded and like sort of without stressing myself out, like developed enough confidence to just like, email people just like ask, right. Hey, can, do you have stuff? Can I do stuff? And you just, I did that long enough, um, where, you know, and then you take feedback along the way without being a huge crybaby, and, you know, being like my words, you know, you like, you take the constructive criticism and you try to learn. Uh, but eventually, yeah, you just find yourself and you're like in your thirties and you're like, Oh shit, I've had a career. I've been writing this whole time one way or another, I guess I'm a writer, right. <laughs> you know, like, um, it's not till you slow down where you're like, oh, I did it, you know, because you're 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 not thinking like I did it. You're thinking like, what do I do next? You know, like, um, so yeah, I guess I just my parents like their low pressure kind of approach. Like it let me just like do, let me just like be me. Um, it's funny sometimes I talk to my wife. We're thinking about you know the future. We don't have any kids yet. And like, we're in a more, way more competitive kind of place. Like we're in LA now and we just, we were in the Bay and I look at a lot of my friends who have kids and like, and I would, I would even be on the train and stuff. And I'd hear like these lawyer bros on BART, you know, going from the office, rich dudes, you know, like their shoes cost more than I make in a month. Okay. And they're talking about their kids, you know, their kids like, oh yeah, my kids going to like learn Mandarin, you know, like three, you know, and they're learning like, you know, German or something. And, you know, of course we got like the regular stuff and they're in Kumon and they're doing all this shit. And these guys are all stressed out. Like, oh, it's so expensive. They got to go to private school. And, and I just, I look at all that pressure and I'm just like, dude, I would have snapped. I would have like totally, if that were me, I would be like the biggest fuck up in the family. Yeah. Right. Do you, like, do you think that like, like the there's like the who couldn't have adult done it. human or not? Or I guess adult. There's like that parental pressure that really tries to steer them in a specific direction, right? And maybe that works for certain types of professions, right? Like maybe more I don't know. Let's say math or STEM oriented, right? Where um, 
maybe there's a little bit less creativity uh, potentially involved. Uh, but like for creative yeah, stuff, that's still problem solving. Yeah, but with creative stuff, right? Uh, creative endeavors, like there's a certain kind. Uh, I feel like there's a certain kind of environment that you need in order to really, I guess, afford yourself the time to be introspective and, and really think about uh, deeper problems that maybe can't be manifested in like one plus one equals two, right? Kind of thing. Uh, and it's not as clear cut. A little bit. Like when my brother and I would play Legos as kids, he would like make cars and jets and he would make them so that he could like flick off pieces and they would like drop bombs or like shoot stuff. And this is like old school Legos before they had springs. And this wasn't like the Technic stuff and like the cool new stuff they got now. Um, and I would just be like, hey, can I have your little dudes? And he'd be like, yeah, I don't care about the little dudes. And he'd give them to me and I would like make them talk to each other and stuff. And uh, yeah, I guess like if sometimes like creativity, I'm doing air quotes. I think it's problem solving, at least at a certain point. But like, there's that element of, so like, I think that's, in, I have that in common with like engineers or like people coding and like a lot of the UX people I work with and designers and like product people. And um, I totally like get, I had a net flying in front of me. Um, I totally get their approach to like getting stuff done. I feel like that's why I've had like a pretty good career in that. Cause I, I understand the personalities and some of the mentalities, like of some of the people in those fields. Um, but like, if you're trying to tell stories and like bring in some fantastical, like stuff you need, I do think time to daydream and just like look at other art and like get weird with it and just like imagine crap. Um, there's this artist from Korea named Kim Jong-ji and he's like famous, like he can draw anything um, without any like underdrawing. So basically he like does magic. He's like a wizard. You just give him a brush, you give him a pen, you give him whatever. And he just starts at one point in the page and just builds out from there. It's what every like little kid thinks drawing right. is. You know, it's like, there's no rulers. There's not, it's what, it's what like most people think artists do, <laughs> you know, like they just draw and it just happens, but everybody is actually like tracing stuff and like doing collages and like putting stuff Everyone's a Photoshop and, artist essentially. Um, kind of, kind of, I mean, like there's, there's a lot of that, especially in comics specifically, but you know, even you got to sketch a figure and build on it is what most people do. But Kim Jong-ji, like he just like seemingly pulls it out of like, you know, the universe and it's like automatic writing or something. It's almost supernatural. And he draws in like fish eye and like weird perspective. And like, it's, um, but he says he can do it because he has a large visual inventory. It's like just a file cabinet full of samples or like a sample library, like a DJ would use or something. And they're like, you know, playing on five buttons and they're just like making symphonies. Um, but yeah, for like a creative role, like writing or something, you just got to be reading all the time and trying to just like let new ways of like doing things or like visualizing things or describing things. You just got to like, you got to let it like pile up. And so fortunately, since I had a pretty low pressure childhood where I basically quit everything my parents tried to introduce me to from piano lessons to 
swim lessons to like any kind of sport i'd like go to one practice and be like i don't like this this is hard you know and they'd be like oh read books then right you know <laughs> so fortunately like that was my secret like uh martial arts training that's like my origin my parents just let me read a shit ton of books <laughs> like let me let me just like chill uh, and draw and make comics in my room and eventually like uh, the real world made me decide to like try to make money somehow um but yeah i think everybody no matter what discipline you have you need a little room to do that to be good at stuff and to get confident in stuff um because not nothing anybody does i think everybody works hard it's not always focused in the way that like they want or need it to be to like do what they really want to do per se but everybody's hustling everybody's working hard everybody's thinking everybody's like trying to do stuff and sometimes the lack of focus makes you find a focus and sometimes like help really guiding somebody like especially like a kid into a certain place where you can help them as a parent or whatever um that can like forge something like really really special and you see that a lot with like athletes you know like the the kids whose like parents are like kung fu masters who make them throw the football like a billion like tiger woods right. type stuff you know or like lewis hamilton's dad or like um you know they, they basically did force him i've, I've seen the <laughs> hbo documentary like for uh tiger woods and yeah that was like I almost felt like his dad put him in a lab and it's like if i were to make the perfect athlete golf athlete right like here's how i'm going to basically yeah. nurture and well maybe nurture isn't the right word right or i guess you could take it in different contexts right uh, or yeah. cult i would say cultivate but it's like it's a kind of nurture cultivating a certain yeah. type of it's more of a, like it's more of a personality or the ability to withstand certain things it was almost like tiger woods was a test subject and it's just he has like a, I don't know, like a 30 year runway, right? Where his dad was a really strong influence, like in his, you know, golf life and his temperament uh, and stuff like that. But it's funny, you look at like Michael Jordan and, you know, his parents kind of just loved him. Right. <laughs> and he just like shows up and he's like, you wanted to play baseball. You couldn't play baseball. So he played basketball and he just beat the shit out of everybody forever. So, yeah, it's it's weird, man. It's weird how life goes. Um, but looking back on, like, all the freedom my parents gave me, I was like, I don't want to do – I don't want to live, like, a certain life anymore. Like, I, 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 did, I started to, like, piece together, like, I know what I want. I don't just want to, like, live in the same town I don't want to just like go work at the company across the street, you know, cause like some people, you know, depending on your goals, like that might be a total slam dunk for you. Like you're born in a place where you're like happy to stay and you can totally thrive there. And it's because you have all these foundational things. You got family there, you got friends there. Like you really like your community. I watch people from my hometown become like parts of local government and like they're on LinkedIn and they seem to really like love it and really care about and they care about people and like that's beautiful you know that's really cool and nice but i'm a shithead and i'm like i want to go to hollywood and be a star you know you're, you're a dream <laughs> like, well you're someone who um, has ambition and dreams right and like that's what seems to have fueled 
a lot of your creative discoveries um, throughout your life. I hope so. I mean, cause you gotta, you gotta, cause like nobody just hands out like contracts, you know? Oh, you want to make a comic book kid? Yeah, sign this, here's some money, go, go have fun. You know, like you're always working like in a group. It's always a bunch of partnerships and you gotta like meet people and build consensus and like earn trust and, and like be a part of a thing. Um, so yeah, like writing was just like the way to do that for me. I was like, oh, I know how, like, you know, you look for the need and you try to just like get in there and, and help out and, and then you go, okay, I did that. What's next? You know, like who, who, am, who do I want to be next and how can I do that? Um, and sometimes it feels like you're failing miserably, right, right, you right. know, <laughs> oh, but, um, then you're like, oh no, I'm doing all right. Okay. I'm doing okay. There's other people that are failing way worse. I want to ask, uh, since we were talking about your kind of experiences with writing uh, in your childhood and also, you know, early on in your professional career, like what advice do you have for teens and new grads, right? And even for parents, right? On, you know, how to turn the value uh, of a pen, right, and paper into, let's say, money or influence, right? Like, those are kinds of the new currencies for creative expressions now. So I'm just curious what your take is on that. It's really tough, like monetizing anything you care about, you kind of have to have a measure of like, small business understanding you don't have to know how to do everything yet, but you need like my biggest thing. I had to learn some level of business acumen. Um, initially, like when I was in a band, it's just like, yo, we're printing t-shirts and they cost $3 and 50 cents a piece. And we got to sell them. Everybody's selling them for 10, you know, like how do we, how do we like make a shirt people want to buy and like sell them at our shows and like stickers and whatever else. And, you know, it's a loss, like you're just kind of spending money and like you, you make some back, but like, you're not really keeping track, but you still have to like figure out like how to represent your shit, how to show up, how to like show it to people, how to get them to take the next step. So like, whether it's like, like your music, buy a shirt, be your fan on social media, that like, I kind of learned doing music. That was like my first like taste of having my own business or doing anything that had some kind of like commerce link. So writing is different. I mean, you got to look around and see where you can make money. Um, like currently you got to look at what's going on today and you got to keep your eyes open for what's happening tomorrow and what could happen in the future. And you got to try to avoid all the bullshit and the scams, of course, because there's some trends that's like, they're basically pyramid schemes or Ponzi schemes. You know, like if a kid today was like, should I do NFTs? I'd be like, no, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, look at the stock market, look at the crypto crash. Like, no, look at what hat Seth Green's ape got stolen. You know, like, don't do that. Um, but I mean, you gotta figure out, like, you gotta figure out what you can withstand, what kind of like standard of living you wanna have, how much debt you can emotionally and psychologically cope with. You gotta just like, yeah, like, like you gotta, unfortunately, like take it a bit seriously at some point, um, when you're younger, like if you're a student, just focus on getting good. And, uh, you know, you're, if you're not paying anybody for anything, your parents are like supporting you, 
whether that's just like art classes or just like emotionally and like buying you Copics and like a Wacom tablet or like whatever you need to just like practice and make and do and try, uh, appreciate that and be stoked on that and try not to take it for granted. Um, don't be hard on yourself, you know, like, uh, try to like find out what your comfort level is with like the internet and like how fucked up the internet can be. Because uh, people, strangers will just say terrible shit to you and make fun of you. And there's cyberbullying and all kinds of terrible stuff that was only in its formative stages. You know, when I was trying to like be a very online MySpace band boy. Um, but yeah, just try to get good. Uh, when you get to like the college level, try to figure out if you need college. Like if you need a specific degree to like cultivate like your creative skills. For me, like the thing, I was like, well, if I get a journalism degree, I can work in advertising. Like technically my degree was in advertising. So I was like, I can go work in an ad agency and like just do whatever they ask me to do. Like that's a job. I'm not going to go broke. And in my case, like my college, I was paying for it. Um, I had some, I was living at home for like, you know, went to junior college for two years. Like I try to do college on the cheap, you know, so it wouldn't be a total mess if my dreams didn't come true. Um, so like, you know, try to balance, don't play it too safe because then you won't do anything. You know, um, a lot of screenwriting books say like in the first chapter, like try to go pro right away. If you don't, life will just happen and you'll get discouraged and you won't want to do it anymore. Um, but yeah, so, you know, get good, figure out if you need college. You, if, if somebody else is paying for it, just go, I guess. <laughs> if somebody else isn't, student loans are predatory right. as fuck. You can't win. Try try not to touch that as much as you possibly can. Like, seriously, like, try to not. Um, and then, you know, if you can get some education, whether it's direct or indirect, like, for me, like, it, it was direct, but it was also indirect. You know, I didn't go to college to learn to make comics. There are places you can go to do that. Um, in place, like I could have gotten like a poetry degree or like a literature degree or something. Um, some creative paths, you can become a teacher. Um, so like, if you're good at your craft, uh, you can all, you like, you can use teaching to like stay afloat a bit. Teaching is not super lucrative, but if you can figure it out, you know, Stephen King was an English teacher, you know, like, and that was back in the seventies or whatever. Um, so like try to just take care of yourself. If you do blow up um, and it's not through like a traditional pathway, go to school, get a job, meet people, get freelance work, start talking to agents, table at shows, that kind of stuff. If like you blow up and you're 16 or you're in college, take that with a grain of salt because stuff is temporary and stuff's always in the wind and like trends come and go. And, uh, you know, you could be selling prints like crazy because you're doing stranger things fan art today but like if tomorrow it's some new show or it's some new video game or it's some new like pop star or whatever it is like try to be adaptable um but also try to know what you actually want to do because you can get caught up in those trends and things just like right. me with music you know at a certain point my long hair and my skinny jeans and all that shit was gonna like be replaced by whatever came next you know right. it just sounds like it's balancing um like practicality uh with 
yeah. you know, your creative endeavors, right? Yeah. Like one thing that I always think about is, especially from a creative standpoint, is like, all right, what's the best way to fund uh, creative, right? Like creative needs a business model in order to exist, right? Whether it's, I don't know, a rich donor, right? That's willing to pay for it. And it's through an auction house, right? Or something like that. Or, you know, if you're making a TikTok video, but you're upping the quality of it, right? Like you're probably upping the quality of it because you have advertising funds or sponsorships that are basically funding the creation of it. So I think it it goes very much hand in hand with uh, how you fund a, or I wouldn't say monetize, basically how you fund a creative in the conception of it, like they're intertwined. Yeah, and I mean, you gotta also, depending on what you're doing, you got to keep getting better. Um, and if you don't have time to do that through being a pro, you know, it might be classes. It might be, it's weird. I listen to like a celebrity podcast and all these actors are like, do you still take acting classes? Do you still have an acting coach? And these are people who like always are on TV or in movies. They're always working They're like, yes. And so, you know, like you got to keep trying to get better. Um, you got to keep like trying to up the ante um but yeah i don't know i would say i I, the one thing i wish more creative people could do uh i'm not saying they like aren't trying or anything like judgmental i see a lot of creative people that like they can't they're just broke and they're a mess (laughs) they're stressed out all the time and it's because of stuff like predatory student loans like among many many other things and like a system that can be gamed against people who are don't have like a full-time job and have healthcare through like a traditional corporate employer. I would just say like, try to look at the world as it is now. Like shit's a bit of a mess. What's safe? What's not? Do you have a safety net? But like, try to like have some harmony in your life, you know, like try to get good and like grind and like do this thing you care about, but like, don't let the other stuff fall by the wayside because I, like I worry about people, you know, like, and unfortunately, like if you're, if you're 15, like I thought I could make yeah. it as like a rock star, you know, <laughs> at least I, I had a scale. I didn't think I was going to like be Van Halen or like something crazy. Like, but I, I was like, I can go on a couple world tours, get a couple albums out, not a real job till I'm 30, maybe. That was, that was, that like, was like, the I, dream I that was pretty you, realistic. right? Like where it's just but like even, you're, you're, Elevating your yeah. mind beyond the constraints of what is possible now, right? And that's, it sounds like it's a very important piece of it, but yeah. also you need to be, like you said, in the present and just like, what is my situation right now versus always thinking in the future. So it sounds like it's a balance of that. I do want to move on to something totally. maybe more like for writing sure. on a personal level for you. So you know, I was thinking about this particular question and I kind of want to get your take on it uh, because I think it could be very subjective and it really reveals a lot about how you think about things is what is writing's purpose at its most fundamental level? So I'm going to steal another quote from a screenwriting book, but like the consensus among all the hoity-toity writers who have money (laughs) is that humans think in story. It's how we remember everything. 
we write our own stories and our brains, like our memories aren't actually very good. They're like just good enough, you know, but like we're always getting shit wrong and like messing up stuff. And, uh, you know, and then of course, like your brain gets older and it like, you know, it doesn't always stay its fittest, you know? Um, so by thinking in story, we can like, for good and bad in a lot of ways, it's why they used to call newspaper content stories. Here's today's top stories, you know, and I think I guess they still call it that. Um, but it's like, you have your characters, they do some stuff, something's changed, you know, they've changed something. What happens now? It's kind of like, there's this basic arc in like a three act structure. And we kind of think in three act structures. Um, if we're good at telling stories, like if we're at the bar or like, at the park or a picnic or a family thing and we're trying to tell people about ourselves it's not just raw information like you you turn yourself into a character the people you're talking to into characters and it's like so you know this character right you know this this character you know them well they were going about their business and something unexpected happened and they had to deal with it and this is how they changed and now here's what they're like even if the story is as simple as like, uh, I walked into like a subway sandwich shop, <laughs> I slipped on a banana peel. They gave me a free sub. Like that's still that like three act structure. So, uh, writing doesn't all have to be stories in that way, but like when you do things, when you're writing for an audience, you're basically kind of always doing that or some permutation of that you're delivering information in a way that people can remember using the communications tools that we have available to us with our sensors and our brain, you know, our CPU. Um, so that's like writing it. It's most simple on a personal level though. If you just like have a journal or you just write down your thoughts or you have a diary or like, however you write for yourself, or if you write your own stories, and you're just making characters talk to each other or you're having fun or you're playing like Dungeons and Dragons. You know, there's a lot of writing in that. Um, what you're doing, you know, either actively or passively is you are putting all the pieces of storytelling somewhere and you're looking at them. You're writing your life story or you're like, you're telling your own story for fun um, and when you do that, like you're pulling from all these places in your brain, your memories, like all the, your desires, like your basically like your psychology is on paper or a screen. And so like by making your own stuff, you can with work or some people do it naturally become better at telling stories like other people's stories, reporting information in the form of a story. And, uh, if you use writing correctly, it can help you be more honest with yourself. It can help you accept yourself. It can help you, uh, be a little bit more self-aware. It can help you treat other people better. It can be more considerate of other people. Um, so it can have like a really therapeutic kind of, uh, property and like the whole process, you basically self-talk, you know, positive self-talk is a kind of form of storytelling. Um, so pretty much it, it just like contextualizes like who you are and the world around you. And it gives you like a place and it can identify either like your path or your purpose or both. 
Um, so that's like a hoity-toity way of just saying like I, writing's communication. I think a, I think writing's of writing like at its most fundamental level is how you want to express your current thought process and emotions, right? In whatever way or format yeah. or an artistic form, you know, you wish to um, express it. And so that's kind of, for me, how I, I guess I think about writing is just how you want to express yourself. And, you know, sometimes when you're writing, like you said, it can be therapeutic because as you take the time to actually write through things, right, you realize like, oh, I want to clarify things a little bit more. Maybe I want to use an adjective to better express how I feel. Maybe I don't know exactly how I feel, but I'll keep it kind of vague because I just don't know, right? Or I don't know how to describe the feeling. Or, you know, sometimes in other languages, right, there's certain phrases that represent a feeling, right? Or for a certain feeling, a situation, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of how I think about writing is really taking, like you said, the Lego uh, building pieces and putting it together into your own art piece, essentially, but in a way that you want to tell other people. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Really, for me, um, I don't do probably enough personal writing. I mean, right? I, I mean, you're already doing writing twenty four seven, and just uh, like, like I sometimes don't... you just need a break, right? Like, yeah. So I think for me as a marketer, I don't right? like, you know, I don't. I do marketing all the time yeah. for different companies, right? Or just in my uh, personal career. But when it comes to myself, right? It's like I know what to do, but at the same time, it's just maybe I don't have the energy to do it. Right. Or uh, you kind of know what you can kind of get away with. And maybe you just like, like we were talking about with the workout analogy, it's like sometimes you're pumping too much blood or doing the same exercise. Like you kind of need a break every once in a while. Yeah. You get injured. You can get injured, you know, yeah. repetitive stress injury. Um, what do you think? So, you know, like you said, you do marketing all the time. And this is something I wonder because when it comes time, I do marketing all day. I do writing all day. When it comes time to like market right. my comics, I'm always just like, can't someone else do it? Uh, you know, it's, it's the funniest thing. Cause like when I was younger in my band, yeah. you're really excited about your thing. Like, Oh, check out my shit. I'm so good. You love it. You know, like I never, I don't know if I ever spoke about it that confidently, but when it comes time to like promote your podcasts, I mean, like I'll tell the audience, you set this stuff up oh, very well, rigorously and professionally, like no stone is unturned. Um, but like, do, do you find like yourself building things out to like that same level that you might at day jobs I, or I would previous, say, yeah. previous places you've worked where you're like, Shit, man, I don't, I don't need a customer journey with like 15 emails to like get people to listen to this podcast. Like, what can I do that's like, I, I like hit like send on a couple like social platforms yeah, and like know, dust my me, hands off. Right. Like, like, maybe you where do you fall on that? Your comics, right? Like, I would imagine for you, right? When you're writing your comic, you know, the whole world, the ins and outs of it. But then when it comes down to marketing it, right, you have to do, it's a different kind of communication style. And obviously there's a bunch of different channels. There's a thousand ways to cut it, right? Optimizing for different platforms. And so for me, 
Like I know, for example, like, yeah, it would be great to have a TikTok. Would I love to have a video editor to edit my stuff? Sure. Right. Like I can only have enough time, you know, outside of my day job, yeah. right. To work on this stuff slash. I also want to have a life too. Right. Like it can't just necessarily be work and all podcasts. Yeah. Right. You After need, that. you need the life. Uh, yeah. The quality suffers. Yeah. The art goes down when you have no life. Like it really does. That's another piece of advice, youngsters, or people who are thinking about stuff like, yeah, you got to have a life. I would say with at least well, going bit. back to the marketing piece, like for me, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I know that I should be on TikTok. I would love to have an email newsletter. Right. But like when you're kind of starting out, uh, you don't have all the same resources you would have at a bigger company. So, so you know, typically in my line of work, I usually think a lot of the strategy stuff, right? And I have other people who are really good at, you know, art or Photoshop or whatever media buying, right? Like they're the ones who usually are, you know, that's why they get paid more, right? They get paid, they have that kind of uh, career to do a really good job at that specific thing. I don't have that, right? And so, you know, a lot of things I'm kind of doing grassroots, right? Kind of by myself. So, Let's say, for example, right now, yeah. I'm pretty much just focused on growing on YouTube, right? Like, sure, I can syndicate it, you know, to Anchor, right? The podcast to Anchor, or maybe I'll post it uh, on my Instagram page or whatever, or even my personal one as well, right? And I'm just thinking, okay, if I can't even get my friends that follow me as on Instagram or Twitter, if I can't even get them to go on, right, like, or to follow or to engage with it, um, or find yeah. joy, right? Then I'm spending way too much time on the other stuff, right? So it's almost very much a super high or yeah. hyper-focused prioritization on like, let me just get through this one milestone first, right? Let me, for example, let me exhaust my friend group, right? In terms of like, okay, like, I feel like I've gotten all of them to subscribe, obviously very selfishly, or at least listen. And then after that, maybe then... I'll focus on like, okay, do I need to go onto reels, right? Do I need to do more TikToks? Do I need to put more resources? How do I need to change maybe my content, right? Do I need to personally spend more time cutting more videos or finding the newest uh, way to engage uh, my audience, even if it is a little bit more work? Are there new skills that I need to learn? So kind of just taking things one at a time. And because right now it is sort of my side hobby, uh, like there's no monetization that obviously comes from it. Uh, yeah. I just think about it from a, what do I want to achieve out of it? And I think there's part of it also where I know if it becomes too marketing oriented, then I'm going to lose the joy of the craft, right? Kind of like you were saying, like you're writing for yeah. a yeah. Uh, media publishing business, right? You're churning out 20, you know, articles, you know, a day, right? Like, I don't want to get to that point where, you know, you don't love it anymore. And so I want to be able to have that balance and say, like, I feel a good balance between my work life, the podcast life, my outside the podcast life so that I can you know, continue to come back to it and give it the my full attention that it deserves when I'm present. Do you think it's funny? Like not haha like funny, irony funny, but do you ever all sort well, I mean, it's just like a, a very human thing where when you work in marketing, 
I always say the hardest thing in the world to do is make people give a shit about anything new. It's almost impossible. And that's why we see, among other things, like tons of like media consolidation and franchising and everything's a spinoff. Sure. You know, everything's a Star Wars thing. Everything's a Marvel thing. You know, like not a lot of space for like, I don't want to say original stuff, um, but if there is something new or there is something that kind of like breaks through all that and uh, generates like, I don't know, a following or like a fan base or like excitement or buzz, sometimes it's because somebody spent a lot of money and had a big, really good marketing strategy, right? So like, you're not even aware that like, oh, why do I recognize this thing? Well, it's because you've been like walking by billboards of it for three months, you know, and now it feels like your idea. Um, but it's really weird. Like, you know, I've worked in a bunch of industries like entertainment, video games, you know, I make comics, like a little bit of music, stuff like that. And you see like, kind of, you know what you need to do. And I've worked at a bunch of startups, like different industries too, like car insurance and stuff, you know, like some stuff you can just like pull some levers and maybe get some traction, but it all almost the stuff that's successful. People just want to hear about it from somebody that right. they external validation. Believe. Like it's almost, Oh, well it's, it's almost always grassroots, like in a way, or at least that's how like, like myself as a consumer, um, I like to find out about stuff through people I like, like, and respect. And like, I like seeing them happy and excited about something new. Um, and like, it, it could be something that you've heard of like a million times, like, like the biggest video game. Like, I don't even know what a good example is. Cause I haven't been playing many mm -hmm. new games lately, but like Elden Ring or something like it pops up. It's everywhere. Everybody's playing it. It's a huge game with tons of money behind it or whatever. Um, but it takes like being on Twitter and seeing like your friend who you have a lot in common with, like who's a filthy casual who plays Horizon Forbidden right. West on story mode. That's me. Like, I agree. I, that was me with like, 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 like uh, Last of Us you know, Elden or, Ring. you know, the Uncharted yeah. series. Somebody, I needed somebody to just be like, you know what? If you just play for a while, you can still like somehow by some miracle win and keep playing and have a good time. And you don't get that mad when you die. You just like, you need somebody to like speak to you in your language and address all of your individual right, right. like questions and fears <laughs> or whatever. The next thing you know, you're like, yeah, you're like, well, I guess they get my $60 because I, and then, you know, like you play it and you have fun. Um, but it's everything. It's, it's games, it's TV. It's, um, you really want, like, you want a real person who you trust or yeah. somebody close enough. That's like, your friend. You're looking yeah. for that Amazon review that like you can tell isn't fake. <laughs> like you're using your, like all your detectors for like authenticity. Um, so it's funny, like we, we do all these things, like we try to make all this stuff work and like we promote, we promote in the marketing business, but like you're doing all of that just so it does become authentic to someone somehow, like you don't do it to get people to do stuff. You do it to get somebody to just try it 
agree kind of with what you're trying to yeah. like get out there i do want like, i do want to expand this is on good. that a People little like bit more it. because i think it, it does as have a marketer value. like our role is to present something that matches their worldview right of a specific thing right so you want it to be yeah in a way that you can communicate or a way that they can understand the value propositions or the experience um sometimes i think it's not only just the written word, right? Uh, sometimes it is the visuals that go along with it, how the visuals are executed. I think about comics and the adaptation into TV series, right? Or into animation as examples where sometimes the stories are really good in the comics, right? And they don't get their just due until they're actually animated or they turn into a live action series and they get validated through there, right? But you're also talking about different mediums to express uh, the values or what makes you know that piece of storytelling really compelling, right? Someone may read you know, something on Webtoons, right? But maybe my mom is never gonna read Webtoons. She's only gonna watch the K-drama adaptation of it that goes on to Netflix. Yeah. And that is something maybe she understands and resonates with, whereas a younger audience is going to resonate with Webtoons, or maybe some people only want to watch it as the anime version, right? They'll never really read comics, generally speaking. Uh, there's different buckets and product experiences. Totally. Yeah. It's all about vibes. It's vibes. And like, if you can get continuity between all those things, like if you fan out, even uh, just, you know, we're using, we're going to use the multimedia like example for IP. Um, like there's a reason, like the vibe is what people want because like you consume fiction, stories, art, you want to feel something. And, you know, like art gets defined a lot of different ways, but I'm going to steal from another screenwriting book. Somebody said that art is just a, it's like a sentence that is like Avril Lavigne said famously, okay. life's like this, you know, like, even if it's not a complete sentence, it's not like uh, the most uh, intellectual statement, like life's happy, life is good. Life is bad. You know, life is hard, you know, like, uh, life is tasty, you know, like you're looking for that from everything from like, I don't know, a sandwich at Panera, you know, to uh, like a Jamba juice to a, like a new pair of running shoes. I'm just looking around my house at various crap, um, but to like a show or a movie, like a multimedia experience. Um, so like, you know, when we market, we got to like I think somehow capture the vibe. I, I want to leverage that. <laughs> like what's I the think, vibe? And correct me if I'm wrong, right? What you're explaining is emotion. Like there's there's an emotion, but there's the, the vibe is basically emotion yeah. plus the visual form manifestation, right? Of that specific moment or emotion. And I want to kind of roll it back a little bit, but it's still tangential. And I want to get your take on what do you think the power of emotion is in writing? Because I feel like the with writing and emotion, right, there's part of what you're communicating is to communicate a sense of value, right? There's a storytelling aspect, but there's also 
the emotional art of how you want it to be manifested. So I want to get your take on emotion in writing. Emotion's interesting. Like a lot of people talk about tone and voice in writing. Um, that's sort of like uh, two of the prongs of like developing a style for a brand communication um, kind of like guide or practice. And uh, emotion is really at the root of what tone and voice mean and do. So, you know, your tone is sort of like your volume or like your tone is your emotion. And uh, like your voice is just like kind of your vocabulary and like how it Tone of voice are like the yin and yang of, you know, right. emotion delivered through communication, you know? So that's a huge, huge, huge part of writing and, and how we just consume like communication through the written word and, and then in multimedia, like the other things that come with it uh, that we use our other sensors for, you know, our ears. And um, so it's like that is definitely like a core of storytelling because a story has to like, when you tell a good story, you bring in the emotion because you humanize everything. Everybody wants to see a human in a story, even if it's not there. Like you, like my dad called me today and he's telling me about like these Eagles fighting some Hawks, you know, in his, uh, like his lake house, you know, and he's watching the birds and he's like, ah, oh, and then the Hawk attacked the Eagle and like the Eagle is bigger than the Hawk. And one of them was trying to steal an egg and like, it's like, oh right. man, what if someone tried to steal my baby? Were you, were you, you like know? anthropomorphizing this eggs. in like your head or something birds. like that? Or maybe he, um, maybe he was going through that. Yeah. I mean, a little. I mean, like I'm a guy who like has little cartoon voices for his dogs, you know, in his head. Like I'm one of those weirdos. Like I'm always, I'm always doing that kind of stuff. But I think it's, it's like a pretty natural. Like, uh, you know, we see human faces and everything we look at, you know, that's why cars is like a thing. Headlights are eyes and the bumper is a mouth face, you know? Um, so yeah, like emotions at the core, uh, the absence of emotion can also be helpful. You know, like you kind of invert it when I'm doing UX stuff. Um, a lot of the times, you know, I'll have like guidance for people who are writing UX. I'm like, don't be putting exclamation points mm -hmm. in this app flow stressing people out is it because you know? <laughs> like in that, no emotion in that context i want right? this to like, sound like more siri because, you know like not that say that flow is an emotionalist uh, emotionless emotionless uh medium uh or experience but it's also yeah. because that medium is so vast and so wide right like you're not sure necessarily like in what context right is someone coming into that experience. So is that something where like being a little bit more emotionless and being maybe more straightforward from like a value proposition is like, it's safe for one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's new. It's neutral, you know, like it's like Yoda, uh, you know, like Luke on Dagobah, he's training Luke in empire and Luke's like, what's in the tree. He's like, go in there, go to that weird tree. And he's like, what's in there. It's like only what you take with you, you know, like I think about that all the time. I'm like, don't, don't uh, tell anybody how to feel about right. pressing uh, buy now, you know, because it's going to mean <laughs> something like different to it, everyone. Right? Like, I think that's part of it too, is like We're telling part them, of new, I guess you could say yeah. neutral marketing 
right? It was more, how do I provide a platform experience yeah. that allows the self-discovery of other people to manifest their emotions to take a certain action? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, maybe that's one of the reasons I look at packaging a lot, like at the grocery store. And sometimes like, I'll just get annoyed by a package. And I'm like, I wish everything was just generic. You know, just like one font, like for me, you know, like make it like a library. Like it's everything's in it. It's an encyclopedia of things to buy, you know, like broccoli. I, I like, I get in this big tub for, uh, I buy, I eat a ton of watermelon. So I go to Costco and I buy like three or four watermelons a week, like a maniac. And uh, there's like 10 different distributors. It's probably more like four, but they've all got different stickers on them, but they're all the same watermelons, right? They probably all are sourced from the same regions. And I'm just like, get these stickers off of here. Majestic, Melon Up, I don't need branding everywhere, you know? Um, but then I'll see something specific yeah. like, Spindrift, you know, not sponsored, not a sponsored item. Um, but I like the little can. It says nothing. It's just like, I'm like, oh, it's got juice in it. No sweetener, five calories. I'm like, thank you, packaging. What a calming right. experience. This feels it, like it my tells idea. you what the value process feels like is, I made right? a choice. So just being like a bullet point form. <laughs> it's just like low calories, you know here's what you get out of it, maybe in three points where it's just like, hey, maybe that messaging is just better, right? Better from like, you know what you're getting up front versus just a label of something else, right? Um, I'm sure the simplistic design probably had something to do with it, like as well to allow those feature points to really shine. But then, I mean, on the other yeah. hand, there's stuff like liquid death, you know, the water, and they've just like, they've turned a can of water, which is like probably the most benign thing, you know? And I think people, it took like three generations of human being to um, willingly accept that water could be like a package yeah. good <laughs> that you would spend money on. <laughs> um, but it's like, now we're here and it's like, we got cans of water and it looks like a tall boy because that you need to drink a lot of water. And they're like, we're going to put like weird, like metal, um, like heavy metal, like skater graphics on it. We're going to call it something provocative. Like you'd think this was like booze. Um, but then, you know, right. so like, everything is like totally like, obnoxious. Water obnoxious should be water at first. Yeah. But now I'm at like, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm never, I'm never going to participate in this. Never. How dare they? But then I go to like a soccer game and I see right. liquid death and I'm like, that's water. I'm thirsty. <laughs> and I'm like, cool art. Thanks, liquid death. I think it and, just has uh, to do with and now I ain't how so mad about it. at the time and also the situation. Like if you're drinking, like you said, liquid death at a soccer game, like you're in a new environment where it's like, I want to feel amped up, right? I want to feel like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go. Or the same thing with like Gatorade, right? It's like sugared water some artificial flavors or whatever, right? Like, does it make you better? I don't know, right? Does it make you feel better? Cool. That's why you have commercials, right? That are also like, here's athletes that use it because it's less about here's sugar yeah. water. It's like, 
do you want to be at your best, right? Other athletes are used drinking it at, for, for high performance purposes, um, or at least that's how it's advertised. So I think it's really about uh, meeting the audience where it feels, where they feel it, and also contextually in framing the right situation that you will you would use it. Yeah, and it, like you hit a slam dunk if you can get them to have like a positive emotion um, with whatever you're doing. Cause like, as soon as you can do that and it might take several tries, you know, <laughs> like, uh, but once you get that, like no one's ever mad when they see like your brand, no one's ever like, it's not, they're all just like triggered by it, you know, but if something unfortunate happens, like, uh, a can of liquid death beats you yeah. up in elementary school, like you're probably going to be mad about it for a long time. Have to go, have to go, you know go to a therapist later yeah. in life or something. I, um, hopefully that doesn't I wanna, happen. I want to transition to watch out for those uh, where you find sources of inspiration in writing, right? Like I know you have a large library to go through uh, just from your childhood to even now in terms of different texts and stories that you've seen and things like that. So I just want to get a little more information on where you find sources of inspiration. I mean, I, 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 at a certain point, you kind of know what you like um, tonally and visually. I like stuff that's funny. Uh, I like stuff that's like got a layer of otherworldliness, like fantasy or sci-fi or uh, even like a period piece, you know, because it's like a different world, you know, it's a different era, whatever it is. Um, I like, so I like, I like something that takes you like to somewhere new, which you haven't been, even if it's the past or the future next week. Um, and I like stuff that's funny, at least like somehow, like funny some way, something that like takes the piss out of, uh, drama and acknowledges that the audience knows what you're doing to them. Um, it, it doesn't have to be meta. It doesn't have to be like a wink. It doesn't have to break the third wall or the fourth wall or the fifth wall. Um, sure. It doesn't have to be Deadpool, you know, <laughs> but like, I like stuff that's, uh, that's like confidently like being art and being accessible in the ways that I access art, like the most directly. Um, and so once you kind of know what you like, and like, it's like knowing what flavors you like. Well, I like acid and heat or I like sweet things or I like salty things. Like it's, you sort of got like a visual thing, which like you're comfortable with. Um, and like, you sort of got like a tonal thing you're comfortable with. And then you're like, well, like what kind of story do I want to tell? And you know, it's got to fit with the tone and stuff, or you've got to find a way to make it work. Um, but then I like any more inspiration is just like what I think about life. Um, like when I want to tell a story, I want to at least, you don't need to have like a total thesis or like a total point, but like, I want to be able to say all the stuff that you can't necessarily say in a polite conversation. Um, 
I want to find a way of understanding how I feel about what's going on. Um, so to get inspiration to do that, it's basically just like reading the news and talking to friends. Uh, <clears throat> I think maybe it's my personality or like my interview being background or like the journalism kind of mentality or even the marketing psychology mentality. But I have this terrible habit. Like I come on super strong when I meet people. I'm like, Hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. Where are you from? How old are you? How's your family? Whatever. And then I'm just immediately like, what the fuck is going on in the world? What the fuck? What the, what do you think That's of all so this funny. shit, man? Is the world going to end? You basically like, like turn, fuck, the you basically like turn into the fuck? a great like, right? Like, I'm totally okay, like off, that. There's like, you know, like here's the buttoned up me, but then, you know, yeah. afterwards it's just like, I really just want to just tell you how I feel right now. Or, or I just want to understand. I want somebody to like make me, because I feel I'm really, I work in marketing. I have a sure, journalism can... background. And those things are like very cynical. I can, I can be, uh, I can be like, I just, and I, I like humor. So I always just want to take the piss out of everything. And so I've just like got this head swirling of just like, someone please comfort me because I think everything is bullshit all the time. <laughs> like, and I can't turn it off and it like affects my relationships with sincere people. Uh, I was gonna so, say, do you think I think a lot of comedians or whatever think that you, way? You were talking, you were talking about comedians, and I think for sometimes, and I'll say like geniuses or prodigies or right, people who are very engrossed in their professions or a specific way of thinking, sometimes they just think all the time, twenty four seven, in certain modes, right? So, for example, maybe you're a professional yeah. comedian every interaction you're thinking about what people are saying in jokes right or it's like oh that rhymed with that right or it's like oh i here's the joke that i would say here's the next line i'm gonna say right and because your mind works or people's minds can potentially work in a way where it's always in that mode that's where i feel like maybe there's just no off switch right because maybe if, especially because it sounds like you dream, you dream a lot, right? Or you're super curious, right? And you're, you're very much, it sounds like you're very much like want to go yeah. on, a, on a ton of different adventures, whether it's physically, right? Like, or, you know, in a storytelling mindset, um, you're living in your mind and it's manifesting, right? In kind of the real world. Kind of, kind of like it's, I want somebody to tell me that there are things about the world that I can confidently just accept. And, you know, I'm not smart enough to like, right. <laughs> remember every aspect of physics or, you know, like, so I watch YouTube, like YouTube is great for, and Wikipedia early on was just like a great. When I was a kid, I would read encyclopedias. Yeah. You're absorbing new information. Like, what, what is all this shit? What's going on? You know, like, I'm not smart enough to come. Kind of. Yeah. So, like, with inspiration, it's the same. I mean, of course, I've got my comfort foods. You know, like, I watch a lot of animation. And 
I look at a lot of animation and I watch anime and I read a lot of comics and I read sci-fi and I watch shows. And, but I do want to challenge myself to like increase the inventory because that can also add more context and understanding. So that's doing things like <clears throat> reading books by authors, uh, by people who are nothing like you. At least, you know, like their lives have not gone the way yours have. Um, that's not to say, you know, they don't have the same humanity as you or whatever, like the opposite, you know, like it's like how I interact with humanity because in the real world, like I like, I love talking to people like this, this kind of thing is really fun. Um, having a conversation, but I think, uh, like this is kind of a pattern I've seen a lot of introverted people who seem extroverted, like, yeah, you want to go on stage and I want to like sing and I like want to do this stuff and I want to like show people the thing I made. But if I walk into like a party and I don't know anybody, it's like, okay, I'm going to like say hi to like whoever invited me and then get the fuck out of here. Right. You know, like, don't ask me to go to like a rave, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know how to do, like, I don't know how to be do you, a part Do you think that's that. because let go like, stop you thinking. built all this context um, and framework so, in your own mind, but then when you have to go into someone else, like into a new environment, it's like, it's a lot of work to have to learn new contexts, new relationships, new environments of like how things work. So it's basically world building again, right? But you're starting from scratch and to do it in a very short period of time, is that something that's just yeah. tiring, right? Maybe for people who are more introverted. Okay. I don't know. I mean, like I'm, I'm like an extroverted introvert. I'm like somebody who understands, like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have anxiety, like at the level that an anxious person has. And I know that because I have a lot of like people with different sort mm -hmm. of like those states in my family and my friends, and we all do. Um, but like, I'm really familiar with, you know, people, I don't have mania. I don't have like real depression, you know, I have like like my emotional state is pretty open, but like when you do go into a new environment, I do want to talk to people, but I want to okay. talk to them. I want to, I want to know what they think. Like, what do you think? Like, it's almost like, I'm just like, um, I don't know. Um, okay. What do they do to the cops when they, uh, I mean, it almost like seems like to, to bring in a Star Trek reference. <laughs> it's, it's just like, like interrogating everybody. And like um, them, where it's just like, I just want to understand how you feel immediately and just like, kind of, you know, pull back or just like dig deeper into the, through the different layers, but you just want to do it faster. Yeah. But the, the problem is in where I use introversion or whatever is like an excuse is I'm also, okay, okay. I grew up uh, in an evangelical kind of community. It's not been getting, it's not been getting a very good route <laughs> in, in, lately, in white America, yeah. in the Midwest, right? No, but so that's all to say, uh, extremely judgmental, but like in a, like a detective way, uh, it's like, I think I, I see certain people like, um, not to go into too many details, because I think we're pretty aligned on sure. on most uh, like social things and probably political things. And I don't want to like I don't want to trigger too many people, but like 
if I see somebody and uh, like, this is just one example. If I see a Confederate flag on like a house or a truck or like a sticker or a shirt immediately, this person's okay. opinion about anything is fucking invalid to me. They, they could not be very aware of like what that symbol means. Like, like you know, like your brain's wired to like look for symbols and stuff. So I'm not hyper judgmental, like, you know, like you are like some, some facets of like that community and some of the programming that you get as a kid through those systems does make you judgmental in like that bad way, you know? Sure. I've tried to like rewire my brain because like it ain't going to change. I'm always going to be judgmental, but it, now it's like a more of like a threat analysis. You know, like I see yeah. a dog at the dog park. I'm like, that dog could kill my dog. It's way bigger. Better keep my dog away from that dog. You know, but it's it's like a pit bull. But pit bulls are mostly very nice dogs, actually. They're not, they're not just like, like savages. They're, they're like good dogs. Um, but I'm like that with people. I'm like, I see certain people, I'm like, oh, that's a rich kid. Fuck him. You know, like that's somebody who like, you know, they don't appreciate what they have, you know, like that person's not working hard enough. That person's, you know, like I sort of do that, like just walk into a room and there could be a million people there. And I'm always, I always have that super negative, like first impression. And it takes like all mm -hmm. of my energy to go be a nice, good, empathetic person with a heart, accept it all, like talk to people. And then once I do talk to people like for real, and I'm like in their face and like, they're not just like a part of the mass, they're an individual. That's where like the good shit happens, but I still interrogate them. Like I'm not like, uh, not in a way where I'm like daring them to define my expectations. You know, like a guy with a Confederate shirt on or something or a Confederate flag shirt on, like probably not going to make right. any conversation with them I do about want... uh, their political beliefs, you know, <laughs> not like in a hurry to find out something hard, but they can, they might be able to tell me about like car engines or some shit. And, you know, they might be like one one piece of uh, helpful guidance away from being the person yeah. I fear they are. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you can help somebody by being like, you don't have to like be confrontational, but you can just like, if news comes up, if politics comes up, you'd be like, well, actually, now that I've talked to you, uh, there is like a, another way of thinking about this. Sometimes people accept that you can get along Fair. better instantly. So <laughs> I don't know. I was supposed to just tell you I read a lot. I of do want to. I do want to move on. That's a, <laughs> that's my inspiration. That's a I read that's a lot a of manga, summary. and it's sick. Uh, we'll we'll definitely talk about manga shortly. I would say maybe in a little bit, but <laughs> I wanted to really understand, uh, you know, when you're writing stuff, like, is there a framework you're following or thinking about, right? Because even from what it sounds like in your mind, right, it's very it, there's a lot of winding roads. Right. But I would have to, I'm imagining that like you're prepping your, your mind, your body to get into a flow state. And also that you're trying to approach the creative with some sort of structure, whether it's, you know, more deliberate or it's more loose, a loose framework. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just totally. want to get your thoughts on how you prepare yourself for, um, I guess, more intense, more intense creative writing. 
I'm really lucky. I think um, I'm turning. I'm, I'm going from being like uh, a rambling stoner in my heart to being like the eng word engineer in my head, or word janitor, or word custodian, as I sometimes refer to it. Um, I'm all about outlines, and I think the kind of education and training I've gotten writing through journalism and things like just editing writing, like those worksheets in elementary school, fix it. Here's a broken pile of words, turn it into something that looks like something. Um, I was really afraid when I was younger to write fiction. I would do it for school. I thought it was like easy, whatever. You just fill in a, mm -hmm. just fill up the sheet with crap and you're like, okay, I can do that. But when it comes time to do my own stories and write characters, I'm pretty plot first, which I feel lucky about. So pretty much I know that I need to write down a bunch of beats, things that need to happen in the story, the characters who are involved. And uh, once I know what needs to happen in a story uh, to get to like the end, you know, or to be continued, whatever it might be, um, sometimes you know what characters are in it and they're already defined. Like when, you know, you're doing work for hire, things like Ninja Turtles, um, sometimes their own characters i don't get too world building -y. i don't get too i it's like i already just kind of know the characters i'm like oh they're it's some dude and some lady and a dog and a talking flower you know and like one of them's sarcastic one of them's mean one of them's nice i know enough and uh so i have an outline unfortunately for things like comics you pretty much know your page mm -hmm. count going into it because of Those are your publishing patterns or the way people like to consume media. Um, page count is like analogous. Yeah. Like, or, you know, your runtime, like whatever it is. And so I, I'm, I really like constraints. Uh, if I don't get them from someone else, I give them to myself, you know, just so you can get the thing done. And um, so, yeah, I basically write an outline. I write the beats. Um, I know what's going to happen on each page. I'll just draw a bunch of little rectangles that represent pages on like a scratch paper if I have to. I've done it long enough now that I can kind of just do it in my head. Um, but I'm like, on this page, this is where we introduce this character. This is where this character shows up. This is where they get hit by a truck. This is where they scream. This is where something explodes. You know what fits on a page. Like you get some experience. Um, you know what can really fit. And then once you go to like writing a script, uh, drawing comics helped me know how much goes on a page. So like writing a script, it's, you know, you're working with an artist or a team of artists, like a colorist and a letterer, and, um, you're writing direction, like in a script for like a screenplay or animation or TV or a movie. And, uh, you're given like instructions, just telling them what happens in this panel, this panel, this panel, and how it all adds up. And you can be pretty general if you have an experienced artist who has kind of like their own instincts. Ghost Cage, I co-wrote with Nick, who's also the artist. So he really wanted to work. Okay. He knew what he wanted to draw, you know? So um, I would sort of like give him that outline. Uh, we would know that people were talking on the page but we wouldn't necessarily write all of the dialogue. We might write stuff in the spirit of the dialogue. 
um, it's just an instruction manual. Like you're making Ikea instructions or Lego instructions for like how to tell a story when you write a comic script and plus dialogue. And uh, so if you're just writing a script and then like the artist gets it, you know, they can follow those instructions. Some artists like to work that way. Uh, with, of course, a lot of their own creativity and, and storytelling skills. Um, but yeah, to long story short, I like to just <laughs> make an outline, know, know how much how much runtime I've got on each page, and, uh, and fill in the blanks. And through the process of doing that, even on your first draft, you automatically or you just solve those problems as you go. And sometimes you get new ideas. And they might like push stuff around or like, now I need two pages to do this or I only need one or like it shuffles stuff around. Um, but I've gotten used to it enough okay. where like you anticipate that you're going to change. And that's why you have the outline, you know, like, you know what you have to do, uh, to, to tell the story. And as you right, go, right. you can kind of fix it. Makes and then sense. of course you can revise it's... and make it tighter, better. <laughs> Uh, a few notes from an editor and change it, but yeah, I'm very outline, okay. outline focused. To follow up with focused. that, right? Like before you, cause it sounds like you already have like a framework of how you're going to approach it, but I'm curious if there's any outside activities that you do. And I mean, like, how do you prep your, like you go work out, right? Like, do you watch, I don't know, Netflix or stuff like, like how, what are the outside factors that you do oh, yeah. before yeah. you get into writing? Is it like, you know, some writers used to rent out like a Airbnb in the middle of nowhere. And they said, okay, for this X period of time, I'm going to just write every single day, right? Like what are those things that you do to help you prepare to, for you to get into that outline writing state? Yeah. I'm lucky again, because of my day job, you know, you have deadlines and you give yourself deadlines and you know when the final products do, you have some idea of how long each step of the process is gonna take for you. And so like, for example, I did this graphic novel with Coleman Ingle called Rest Area 51, and it was on the Tops app, which is like the other webtoons, you know, um, similar kind of scrolling comics app. And uh, so I just knew I had to write this many pages a day to get them all done by on my deadline, at least my deadline I gave myself. So yeah, I mean like ritual behavior, like planning behavior, um, get all my other work done, uh, or like into a place where it's all like pinned down so that I can really focus. Um, I do work out every day, uh, just so that I like my body feels fine. I'm not all tense. Um, my head sort of like, it clears your head. It clears my head anyway, a bit, or it takes care of a lot of the stress that you just have from being busy all day, doing other things. Um, and yeah, I, I either find a way to like, just take notes, kind of like half write it uh, throughout the day. If I'm not doing other things, like especially on a weekend or something, you're always kind of working on it. You know, you're always like, it's a pot on a stove and it's like kind of simmering. 
Um, but then there's like the next step. You got to braise it and then you got to right. chop it up and then you got to add onions and like, you know, you know, you got to like do this recipe. So you're just kind of doing it like one step at a time in your head. And, um, I just try to stay focused. I'm, I'm a really boring writer. Uh, it's sounds like a very structured writer. If you're taking um, it one step at a time. I try to come in prepared with like all the sous chef shit done. It is. I'm like, I think I've talked about Chipotle and Subway both in this interview, but it's like, yeah, you know, like you come in, you do the prep work, you got your ingredients, uh, you know, you're going to make a burrito or whatever. And so you just like show up and you just kind of move down, uh, down the line and you can go out of order if you need right. to, but you know, you got to do a burrito. So yeah, I just try to save time for myself in the evenings and the weekends or the morning. If, you know, I got a head on work or something and like things are slow and, um, I just try to like do a little bit of work. I try to focus up and like hit my task, like hit that step, uh, and then give myself a little break, get up, play with my dogs, watch a YouTube video, listen to a song, just kind of like keep your head interested in art and thinking, uh, and then, you Got know, it. So it's like, sounds like it's like a combination squats, of like writing, <laughs> like doing like a workout or then, doing uh, daily do life step. activities. And then when a moment of inspiration comes to you, right? Like you write it down, you note it. Cause I'm assuming that those are very fleeting moments and you might forget about it. So you want to be able to in between those breaks, like really, uh, capture that. Oh yeah. Yeah, and just, it's like a lot of things. Like my phone, my notes app is just like full of stuff. Like as I think of it, like I'll be sitting on the couch one night and I won't, if I can just capture it, I know I've got like this big drawer full of stuff. I'm like, I know that I want to use this line of dialogue at some point. It doesn't have to be now. It doesn't even have to be in this comic, but like, you know where to find it when you hit a snag or... Uh, you don't necessarily know what to do next. Um, just always like, always be sort of thinking about stuff without stressing out about it and stuff will come to you. You'll get inspired. You'll get new ideas. Uh, and then like, if your back's to a wall and somebody's like ideas now, you still got that because you're used to like operating that way and thinking that way. So makes sense. Um, uh, I know you mentioned ghost cage. Uh, a bit, and I kind of want to understand a little bit more about where the inspiration from that came from, like the origins of it, and you know, how does this like a reflection of kind of where you are as a as a copywriter and a cartoonist? Um, copywriter? It's kind of like I was saying earlier. Ghost Cage is just sort of like Nick had just gotten done. Um, he just wrapped up like this pretty long comic book series that he had done with this huge Nick's a superstar. I'll just, I'll just put that out there for folks who don't know comics. Nick is a superstar of comics. He's done a ton of stuff for Marvel and DC. He's worked on Superman, Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four. Um, he created, co-created um, America Chavez from the most recent Dr. Strange movie. He was at that movie premiere. So like Nick's been in the game. Mm -hmm a while he's like 
but we lived, uh, it was when I was living in the Bay, I was living in Oakland. He was living down the street pretty much in Alameda at the time. And, um, we started hanging out cause we liked a lot of the same comic books and, uh, we knew a lot of the same creators and people. And I'd been in the community for long enough that it wasn't weird to just like go like make a friend as an adult, <laughs> which is like, as, as you get older, like what, what's sure, happening? Sure, sure. I'm talking to someone new. That's weird. You know, like, Oh, that's remember friends. Oh shit. Yeah. Friends. Um, so we just kind of became friends and, he was wrapping up this comic called East of West that he did with uh, Jonathan Hickman, who's like a superstar of comics too. He's like written a ton of his own books, done a ton of work for Marvel. Um, he's writing X-Men like now, you know, like super two superstars just made a superstar book of their own. And I'm talking to the guy who drew it all and he's thinking about what he wants to do next. And, you know, as we just got to know each other and like we saw that we were on the same wavelength about uh, a lot of the stuff that we liked, like we like a lot of the same artists and manga and like tonal stuff. And I just started talk, telling him what I wanted to do next. And he, he got kind of interested in one of the ideas. And we spent like, I think, two years like mutating it in conversations. And ultimately, the book's just about like what we we're seeing happening in the world and how we felt about it. Um, at first we were just both complaining about how fucking expensive the Bay area was. Uh, you know, like <laughs> Nick has since left the Bay area. Sure. Um, it's, it's, it's and true. you know, it was like, we're like, you know, just noticing what a stranglehold a lot of uh, tech companies had on the world and like how that was negatively affecting people like Facebook and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. And so we're, we're just thinking about like real estate. We were thinking about uh, evil corporations. We were thinking about how the government seems to basically just be like controlled by corporations now. Like all the, all the things that like a cynical kid with a journalism background and like a big art heart. Basically, I was just like whining about my life. You know, like I can't get ahead, man. It's impossible here. And, uh, that, you know, like I had like a high concept and some kind of character ideas in mind. Uh, I knew I wanted to like kind of do, um, I didn't realize it till later, but like ghost cage is a story of like a creation of a mad scientist who was like sent on a mission, uh, to clean up the mess that happens when this mad scientist who owns like everything. Um, he's got this giant power plant. that's just a huge tower into the sky. And uh, somebody breaks into the power plant and like basically shuts it down because they let out a bunch of things that are in the power plant. And so he creates this like little dude and he says, go take care of this mess for me. You got to climb the tower and like defeat all these enemies and then we'll talk after you're done about what happens next. And so like, I knew that I knew I wanted that to be the basic plot and, you know, it's basically like the plot of Mega Man, <laughs> you know, kind of, it'd be like if Dr. Wiley made Mega Man for his own entertainment, you know, like go, go beat these guys up. Cause it's tight. Yeah. Like it's basically like, um, but you know, like you, that's not a story. That's a plot. Right. Um, so, 
Right. We created the characters. We created the world. Uh, Nick was awesome through the whole process. He made amazing character designs. Um, and, uh, you know, like he really had a lot of input on the dialogue. And, um, of course, he drew it all, which is like in comics, that's the uh, that is the story. That's what the reader sees, you know, so um, awesome co-writer amazing artists of course uh but yeah i mean like basically the comic is just me like whining about my job and the where i live and the state of the world and uh it's a comic you know it's that's where the universal like themes come from you know like you think you're doing some crazy sci-fi thing but like this is a comic about how work sucks and wouldn't it be better if life were like a little nicer, <laughs> you know, like what are we doing with like energy? I mean, you, you basically know? summarized. Yeah. You summarized the plot pretty well, right? Like essentially it sounds like when you are thinking about this kind of story, the plot is the thing that if you had writer's block where it's like, we don't know what the direction is, right? Like that's the, the central message that you want to get across or like the thread of that central message that you're taking from um, almost like a, a mother yeah, sourdough yeah. starter and every little bit and piece of it is just a deviation, uh, a deviation or drip. Oh, it's a little clone, uh, but it's its own, its own it's thing. It's a clone, right? Yeah. It derives from that. Yeah. yeah. But of the same ilk. Uh, I do want to start to move on and wrap up a little bit as we start to wind down, you know, the podcast, uh, you know, as a copywriter and a cartoonist, like we were talking about how, you know, obviously it was expensive to live in the Bay area. And now that you're in LA, right. How do you balance, um, the life of being, you know, a copywriter versus a comic writer, um, while, affording to make a living off writing. Fortunately, I've been really lucky with my day jobs. Um, and I like my day jobs, even the ones I complain about, you know, it's really just more conceptual. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just the mm -hmm. fact that you're so busy. And like, you get older, and like, you're like, what have I sacrificed? Like, what have I let pass me by? And like, that can stress you out. And like, um, so I've just been lucky. I've had really good career opportunities, even at companies I didn't stay at for very long. I learned a ton and I worked with really smart, hardworking people. And so even the places you leave with like your head on fire, you still were like able to like extract something from and like they changed you and hopefully for the better at your next role or whatever. Um, and I've had great jobs too that I've left purely just to grow, you know? So like, it's a, been a rich tapestry. Um, LA is a little cheaper than San Francisco, but California is California. You know, <laughs> like it's right. It's, just, it's expensive all around, well, at yeah, least I mean, in the metro areas. Uh, it's like you know, thirty-five percent of your income just goes away with taxes, California taxes, and this isn't me on a rant about taxes. Uh, I just wish you know, I wish you got more for your money. Um, like every, like every single other sure. living person in the world. Um, so really, you know, I just, I know I need, I need a full-time job for now, for sure. And uh, I've been lucky 
over the years, you know, you make a lot of great contacts, you build a lot of good relationships, um, whether it's in comics or outside of comics or through like the places I've worked. And so I've just, I've never had a choice. Like from the time I was 15, I've had a job. You balance your school and your job and then like maybe sports and um, then like having friends and a social life and dating or whatever. Like it already taught me like to balance everything. Like you don't have a choice. So if you want to do shit, you got to make time for it and like figure out how to like live. And so, you know, like, yeah, I guess I just never had a choice. And I knew like, even when I was making, trying to be in a band and I was still drawing comics at like my school and my college newspaper. um, I was like, you just don't have a choice and you just don't think about it as if you do. Um, And then you just try not to like get super stressed out and run yourself down. Um, because that won't get you anywhere, even though thankfully that's what your twenties can be for. Um, you can survive a little bit of being run. (laughs) I didn't sleep very much in my twenties. Uh, not like I sleep a lot more now and take way better care of myself, which you should probably just do in your twenties. If you're in your twenties right now, don't, 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 uh, (laughs) don't, don't crush yourself. But, um, I don't know. I just, try to have a good attitude and appreciate what my day job gets me, which is like, takes care of the bills, man. Like don't have to worry about. Yeah. No, it's a, it's yeah, a good, exp- it's a good I, perspective, right? Like, and I don't, don't have to be, worry about, uh, don't want to be cynical I don't have to worry about like <clears throat> my health insurance and I don't have to worry about a lot of things that a lot of people do have to worry about. And, um, you know, I try really hard to have jobs where I can feel good about, all those things, not working for like the worst places, not working for the worst people, not getting into fights every day at work. Um, and that can, you know, that, that's a challenge. <laughs> that's a challenge too in the modern workforce, especially like a busy job or like a marketing job or a media job where there's just a lot of cooks, you know, and a lot of processes and uh, yeah. it can be, it's challenging and a lot of, your growth is always expected, you know, so like you always got to be, always got to be going. But with that mindset, like it has like made me a better, more efficient, less uh, immature writer. Like it's made me a more mature, grounded person. I can take feedback a lot better when I work with editors. Like, do you mind if we change stuff? Like, would you, how would you feel about maybe some of this? It's yeah. They know I'm not going to flip a table. I'm just like, I don't give a shit. You want the character to be a giraffe now? Let's party. You know, <laughs> like, let's let's make the comic good. How do we make the comic good? You think that'll make it better? Like, you can just, like, chill and, and work with collaborators and um, kind of divorce yourself from the idea that you have to be to make cool stuff and to tell your stories. You don't all, You don't have to be a control freak to the degree that you think you might have to be, you don't have to be precious in an immature way. You don't have to like, you can really, sometimes you do. Uh, so caveat, sometimes you got to like fight for your mm-hmm. shit and really believe in what you're doing. Cause nobody else will sometimes. Um, and we see that, we see that in Hollywood right. a lot and you hear those stories. And like, sometimes when you see something good, it's because people did all the stuff that I just uh, said, you don't need to do. Yeah. 
Because it sounds like you have to have, like, you have to, as an artist, you have to have your non-negotiables, yeah. right? That you will not compromise on and be very upfront about that in the beginning. So that I'm assuming, like, your editors know, like, all right, these are non-negotiables. We won't touch that. But everything else is on the table for, you know, change or whatever. Yeah, like, it's really, you just got to, all this stuff I've been able to do, it's helped me to define myself a little bit better for myself. And then when you, like, talk to other people. so. Uh, it just gives you, it's given me confidence. Um, being good at one thing teaches you how to try to get good at another. And if you've kind of like honed a skill in one aspect, you're like, well, I want to do something new and I know it's going to be a fucking roller coaster of rejection and pain, <laughs> like sucking and getting better and trying yeah. harder and getting knocked down and getting back up it teaches you to like know to just expect that like every journey has all that stuff and so um my day jobs made me a better artist uh being an artist has made me better at my day job writing comics has made me way better at doing ux because it's storytelling and it's filling boxes with words you know and a lot of to dumb it down like way too much um so yeah like I probably won't say this when I get uh, too much freelance in like two weeks and I'm crying under my desk. Why did I agree to do all this? Oh God. But you, you caught me on a good night and I feel positive. So that's good. Uh, I do want to ask, like, I know you just finished writing ghost cage and are you thinking about new sort of writing endeavors post ghost yeah, cage. Yeah, yeah, I'm really I'm really fortunate. Um Ghost Cage has kind of been like a little hit, like a modest hit. Um sales were really positive. Uh like reader response has been like beyond what I would have like hoped for. Um and uh it's just like been really gratifying. So coming off of that, I've had some really good discussions about like some of my upcoming projects um there's already a couple things that are like on the docket um and hopefully they'll be announced sometime <laughs> like not not too right. soon sounds good i mean i know i know you probably can't say well, anything I can, about I mean, it uh, but i'm glad to hear that yeah you have, you have more stuff yeah like you never know. So, um, but yeah, like a couple of things are happening for sure. And then a couple more things are like on the, on the stove heating up. So, um, I'm excited for all that. And, uh, you know, I gotta give a shout out to Nick because if it weren't for ghost cage, you need like something to just like, just like pop off a little bit and like, Put you on that level a little bit, yeah. yeah. And like being able to work with Nick and David and Russ and, and Frank um, and all my other collaborators, you know. But like, we did a book at Image Comics, the publisher that like blew up in the '90s for doing creator-owned books. Uh, characters like Spawn came from that, you know. Like tons of movies, tons of IP. Um, it made the the people who started Image now run DC comics and are now, you know, uh, huge figures in entertainment. Um, the walking dead was an image comic book, you know? So just like being in, in that realm, um, I thought I was going to be able to do an image book when I was like 28, like the year I started really caring about doing comics. I thought it'd be easy. 
Um, but I mean, it took, it took, it took as long as it took. And then when it finally did happen, I got to do it with like Nick, somebody whose art I just like fucking love somebody I really respect and admire. And when like the audience like came and just understood what we were doing and we didn't have to like, you know, uh, we didn't have to explain it. We're just like, here's a weird book by these guys, you know? (laughs) And everybody was like, okay, Mm -hmm. cool. Weird book by these guys. Like, um, we've been really fortunate with that. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's made a huge difference and I'm really excited on uh, what I get to do next. Cool. I do want to wrap up the podcast with a lightning round. Uh, so I have a, maybe like two questions that I want to ask you and one, who are the top comic writers right now that you find inspiration Mm. from? I, I wrote down some names beforehand, but like, I still have to like, think, I don't know, like everybody's pretty decent, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> well, you're putting everyone on well, the same playing field then if everyone's everybody's, everybody's doing their best. Um, there's, you know, like most of the stuff that I'm really, really excited to read. There are a lot of great Western comic book writers, um, like Jonathan Hickman, who I mentioned, who you know, Nick's worked with in the past. Um, I got a bunch of friends uh, who are awesome comic book writers. But to just focus my answer, I know it's a lightning round and I've already talked too much. My favorite manga right now, just to like calibrate and kind of just tell the audience what I really like is uh, Q Hayashida, who did Doro Hidoro, um, the anime adaptation oh, yeah. is on That's Netflix. That's a great, I saw it on Netflix, yeah, so it's yeah. really fun. Uh, They've got a new manga called um, Die Dark. And like, it's everything I like about comics. It's weird as hell. It's like pretty metal. Like, so it's got a lot of like weird sci-fi slash like satanic, (laughs) like demonic weird shit. And uh, it's funny. It's funny. It like naturally does world building. Um, it's like it's like aspirational and uh they you know we were talking about how like manga has a single author a lot of times um die dark is like just as good as doro hidoro uh it's unique it's weird like everything is a surprise and you can't stop reading it and like it's just like all it's like it just lights up every like pleasure center of my brain i'm just like man this is perfect like I want to make a book just like this. Uh, it sounds like a, a dopamine. Oh, totally, rush. totally. And it stays with you. The art's amazing. Like, it's everything I think, it's everything I want out of a comic. Um, so, yeah, that's that's like one of one of my north stars right now. Um, but you know, I'm I'm still I'm still a basic, you know, I still you know, I'm still reading uh, One Piece every week and you know, I skim Dragon Ball Super to okay. see what's going on. And I'm reading, I read Shonen Jump. Chainsaw Man's tight. You know, like I'm stoked it's back. Yeah. Anime ad- adaptations yeah. coming out soon. Yeah, in the fall. Um, who is the creator of Chainsaw Man? Um, is it Fujimoto? I shouldn't have even taken a guess. I, I, I think it's Fujimoto. Tag. Yeah, yeah, cool, Tatsuki, cool. Fujimoto. I remembered something. 
I should have wrote something down, <laughs> but yeah. So huh. stuff like it's Chainsaw fine. Man and Die Dark and, and a lot of other comics. I, I mean, like I read old, uh, uh, Rumiko Takahashi, like romance manga and stuff. And like mm-hmm. manga, like does it for me. Uh, Western comics do too, for sure. Um, you know, I got a million of them. I've been reading them my whole life. Uh, but like stuff that it's like my go-to that I just get stoked. Um, like those two are like, are like immediate answers for me. Okay. Uh, I was, this is a tangential quite, or this actually, what you answered kind of rolls into my next question is what manga are you reading oh, yeah. right now? Well, those two, um, but I'm reading manga is interesting. Like when you live in the West because, and you don't speak Japanese or read Japanese, we get a lot of like back catalog. So it's like new to us ish, you know, if you didn't pirate it in the nineties or whatever, <laughs> the early two thousands, um, or you haven't seen the adaptations. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like I read what's in Shonen Jump. Um, I like some of the new series, uh, Chainsaw Man's like a huge, like a notable example. Um, I think it's in Shonen Sunday or one of the Seinen magazines. I don't think it's in Shonen Jump in Japan. Uh, One Punch Man I still love. I'm always excited for new One Punch Man. Um, what What else am I even reading? I feel like I should have had a tab open so that I could like answer this question better well that's not the purpose of a, of a lightning round, lightning round man. Um, Gotta... uh, give me give me a second though because i want the audience to think i'm cool um and i know my shit really well <laughs> uh vinland saga is a treat um okay you know are you a promised neverland kind of guy i read it all i read it all in the app as it in the shonen jump app as it came out so um okay didn't do what I thought it was going to do. And it was funny because like, okay, it's a lightning round. Anyway, I'll share my, I'll share my deep thoughts with Prom- promise. Neverland was good though. It was uh, a complete work and I'm always happy when a manga has an ending. I find it very satisfying. So funny thing for me is the, the two shows that I really like are two shows that not a lot of people really like or probably even are aware of uh so one is world trigger oh yeah uh so i really do enjoy that show um i like it because it's basically battle royale uh i mean i basically think it's like a tune-in exam but it's just a never-ending one which is fun like it's fun because i like the strategy the strategy elements of it and it's not like dragon ball levels of like you know that dragon ball is more action Right, it's like ridiculous. They're action. playing laser tag. This one's more like it's grounded. Yeah, yeah, it's playing laser tag with actual rules yeah. that are not necessarily broken. Like these are realistic probabilities, right? That someone could think this far ahead, and you're rewarded for thinking it out. Yeah, they're playing. And it's just really amazing how it's a 4D chess. My my buddy David called World Trigger yeah. a sports manga, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It kind yeah. of is. Yeah. Uh, I do like Haikyuu as well. I've only I haven't read the manga, but I watched the show. Uh, I don't want to. Spo- I feel like I would enjoy the manga, but I like the the emotion and the visuals that the show gives. So I'm willing to go at that pace, like to enjoy uh, the show. Have you the third one? Oh, there's a third I would one. Say is oh sorry, third one. 
that I just thought about because Haiki wasn't originally on there, but I really, I really do enjoy it. Is uh, Kingdom. So you could probably tell just by those three, like, oh, what kind of manga or you know anime that I gravitate towards, like, is more of like the thinking person's kind of manga, where it's just like, oh, here's a strategy. Do they actually execute it? Is it based in some sort of uh, realism, right? Uh, realism in the sense that like it's not fantastical that they totally break the fourth wall. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's playing a game. It's manga. One of the things that like has come from manga is a lot of like strategy game type stories, like Yu Gi Oh. You know, yeah. like Yu Gi Oh was originally like. Uh, Fist of the North Star, like like the Spectre. He's a Vin- Yu-Gi-Oh is a vengeful god. He's like Columbo or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like here you go, bad guy. I've like worked out this huge way to like make you like tell on yourself and lose your mind or whatever. Yeah. And then like I don't know, a couple volumes into the Yu-Gi-Oh manga, he's like, let me explain to you how this really complicated card game works. We have the fire stat and like you know they're. Even Pokemon, they're doing yeah. like rock, paper, scissors, you know, like they're they're narrating like how they've outwitted each other a bit um, at a foundational level. Yeah. So, yeah, World Trigger does a lot of that. They're like, I just foiled you. Let me like break it down into a diagram. And there's like a flow chart and like a graph. Yeah. And I'm like, this I, is great. I appreciate that, though. Like, but that's a it's a common staple in, mo- in like manga and i do appreciate an anime when they do do describe it because it makes you more committed to understanding oh totally i mean like even death note did that it was i mean death note's a detective like thriller in a way um and yeah they like they break it all down and like everything has an answer and they actually tell you the character like explains the plot of the story they were just in in a way like see how clever that shit was you know like yeah. That's how they used to write a lot of American comics. Um, like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. You know how they like always are like, here's a yeah. weird game with a bunch of rules. And then like the characters win because like, here's yeah. an exception to your rules. That's their like, the stands are just yeah. a bunch of rules, man. They're like, it's like, they're just, they're just little rule machines. And uh, like the way that they narrate it, and JoJo's is just like how they sort of talked in like the silver age of comics, like when the justice league was invented and like uh, the green lantern that we're all familiar with, like characters would be like, Oh, well I foiled you alien because I, I noticed that your firepower was vulnerable to nitrous oxide. So I went and got a bag of quick lime and Oh, I know about chemistry. And like, you know, like just a bunch of like people talking yeah. rules to each other. Um, it's very D and D kind of. Yeah, no, it is, and and so like it in a way like it teaches the reader how to write a story if they're so inclined to reverse engineer it and replicate it somehow. So, no, like I, I think your picks are great. <laughs> they're they're really good. Yeah, Thanks. I appreciate it. I thought I was just thinking like, wow, it'd be really interesting if more of that kind of explanation. And, vis- and the visual styles for like the breakdowns of stuff instead of it just always existing in the comic world like what if it existed in the business world where it's just like here's how our product works right instead of like the video explainer maybe it's a manga panel where it's just like currently like xyz 
right? Like tends to happen, but then something else happens, right? And, you know, we have like, there's diagrams of like what happened in a more fun and entertaining kind of way versus like, we'll just all write it down in like a FAQ database, right? Like, well, it's, yes, there are steps, but then there's also more visual. You could do more comic style visuals for like it's, uh, how to actually understand the problem and break it down. It's interesting you say that because like manga, since manga is largely like the biggest comic book industry in the world, it has a lot more diversity. So it has a lot more, you know, the West is catching up in a way, um, but educational comics are a huge book market, um, like instructive yeah. Um, there's like, I read a ton of graphic novels in college that, uh, there was one that like explained what like autism was and how it worked. And one that like explained like the science behind HIV, like through story with like breakdowns. Um, there was one that, you know, taught me about bees and like how bees are, mm. <laughs> bee things, bee facts. Um, yeah. educational comics are great. This guy, Scott McCloud, he wrote the book drew the book. It's a graphic novel called Understanding Comics. It's a comic about how to make comics, how to think about comics, what comics do. He made like a whole bunch of, he made like a series of them, Reinventing Comics, uh, another comic. Um, and he did a, when Google launched Google Chrome, like the day Chrome came out, they hired Scott McCloud to make a comic about why Google Chrome was basically like a different kind of browser. And, uh, yeah, it was the nerdiest shit. I, I didn't even make it through the but whole thing. Loved it. I was glad I was like stoked. It was like, Holy shit, Scott McCloud, like the godfather of comic book education and, and like evangelism and teaching. He did something for Google. But the longer I read it, I was just like, Oh, uh, this is cool, but I don't actually know how the internet works, bro. Packets, packets and shit. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, like there's a ton of educational comics. So DM me if you ever need any recommendations. Uh, I mean, I feel like a lot of manga is already unintentionally educational comics. So let's say for example, uh, one time I was with my friend and he was going to med, he was going through med school or he was doing his rotations or something like that. And we decided to watch cells at work. Yeah. 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 And, cells and at work is a perfect watching, example. It, yeah. It's like, he's watching it with me and he's finding so much enjoyment of the content because these, this is, these are things that like he had to read and understand in a textbook form. Yeah very bland, kind of boring, right? Like, but when he sees it in a more visual storytelling narrative format, like it's like, he's able to anthropomorphize like, oh, cells are like, you know, super helpers, right? And so you put an image of like, you know, a young child, right? Like carrying, you know, like platelets basically, like carrying around blood cells. Just carrying boxes. Those are the things that I think Carrying boxes, yeah. <laughs> right? And those are the things that I think really help widen the spectrum and widen the approachability of very difficult topics. Oh, yeah. And there's something to be said about not only just the spoken word and how it's written, um, but also making it more accessible with the types of words you choose, sentences, phrases, as well as the visuals to help you digest all of 
uh, the messaging that's being shown. Because we think in story. And with that note, <laughs> uh, I want to know where people can find you. Like if people want to look at your work, follow you on social media, where, where can my audience or people who are watching this uh, find your stuff? Well, at? thank you for asking. Um, you can uh, find me on Twitter at, at Caleb Andrew. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, just Google my name because my username is stupid. Uh, it's Mondegreen Ranger. A little Power Rangers reference. Um, okay. Um, some of my comics that I've drawn are on Tapas um, at just tapas.io slash Caleb Andrew Golner. And uh, you can find everything on my website, calebgolner.com. It's more of a portfolio site. So um, you can also get everything. I've got a link to like all my places on the web um, on my link tree, which is just link tree. There's a dot in it. You've seen link trees slash Caleb Goldner. Yeah. Cool. Well, I want to thank everyone for watching through this episode and Caleb, it was great speaking with you. I feel Likewise. like I really learned a lot about the, the writing process. And just, I think the structure that goes around it and also kind of where to, how to hone your sources of inspiration and just, yeah, just a whole lot of other things. Yeah, just go to therapy and take it step by step. <laughs> <laughs> don't go broke in college. Time, yeah, don't, don't go broke. Protect yourself. All right. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, yep. Caleb. Thank you.